If you gotta amputate, don't give me the tourniquet. You wish that I would run away, sever what isn't working. But I let my body bleed out, leaning to my left side. If your part of me is gone now, do I wanna survive? My limb, my limb, my limb. celebrate april fool's day uh this week we are fool the culture um quentin how you doing tonight i'm great been a little sluggish sluggish today for the most part but i'm good just been doing some doing some reading catching up on some shows and you know i'm i'm, I'm pretty good about that awesome awesome it is 420 month uh just like other holidays that you celebrate for the entire month we can for April, we can celebrate 420 for the entire month. Uh, I only mention that because my entire neighborhood smells like weed, like really strong. <laughs> Since I came home, like until now, it reeks out there. So I like I like I like dispensaries big uh, where you're at. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of them. They're everywhere. We've got like there's this one company that has multiple. They're called Med Men, and they kind of have the like uh, ice I or Apple Store vibe. It's like a dispensary that's like intentionally made to look like an Apple store. They've got the big desks out with like the, you know, all the different like buds in the glass like containers. And it's got that whole like sleek, like millennial look. But yeah, I mean, they're, they are everywhere. Um, there's signs everywhere. There's uh, a lot of the new thing is um, celebrity endorsed strains. Because basically like the way the laws work, a lot of the, um, a lot of the dispensaries just like, now what they do, I think it's to save money, is they, like, grow their own on site. So there's this place right. called Circus of Books. It was a big deal from, like, we watched, I watched a documentary about it, actually, relatively recently. I think it started, like, in the 60s or 70s. It was, like, a porn shop, and it was, a, like, a pretty explicitly gay porn shop, one of the earliest ones here in Los Angeles. It was called Circus of Books. There's actually two of them. One of them is in my neighborhood um, or near my neighborhood in Silver Lake. I drive by it every day. Um, on my way to work, and uh, it is now a uh, a cannabis dispensary, and they grow their own weed there on site, and you can smell it. it like it is crazy how much you can smell it every morning when I ride by. Um, but uh, 
But yeah, so what they all do is they all grow their own on site. So now what they're doing is they're doing like whatever strain they grow, they do like a celebrity endorsed one. Um, the one that I see all over the place right now is like a, an ice cube strain. So there's like a picture of ice cube with like a crown on the billboard. And then it says like, you know, herbarium or whatever fucking place it is. And like the name of the, the one. And there's, there's been a ton of them. Uh, obviously there's like Snoop Dogg ones and stuff like that. I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was going yeah, to, I was going to say like, I assume a lot of these are like rap rapper endorsed. I would say for sure. There's a, t- it's a ton of rappers. Be real. Be real. Is It's fucking wild. Cause like Cypress Hill, like, you know, they're nothing really on the mainstream anymore, but in Southern California, be real is still a big fucking deal. He does like a radio yeah, they're like, show. Yeah, there's there's still there's yeah, there's still like god like gods over there. Yeah, so he has uh he has multiple strains of weed. He's got m- multiple different kinds of liquor. Um he also has uh beers. Like he makes beer like these are all just endorsement deals where other people make them and they put his name on it. But Be Real is like a fucking huge deal. For all that kind of shit. This guy like endorses everything and like multiple versions of everything. It's it's wild. Um so yeah, it's like it's a big deal out here for that for sure. Um rappers especially getting their getting their names on stuff. Um I wonder man, some of these companies are getting big enough that I bet like we'll get a Laker to do a strain if they're allowed, you know what I mean? If their contract allows it. I mean I would not be shocked. Fucking Contavious Caldwell Pope just <laughs> yes exactly. like gets to gets to be on be, be on like dispensary advertisements but like it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility <laughs> no no it would not be crazy I mean it's it's to that level out here it's it's wild man like they hit the ground running once it was legal here like fully legal recreational like yeah it's like I said I mean that that fucking bookstore that had been around since the sixties seventies like when it closed it got turned into a dispensary like any business that's like got any size if it closes it's either going to turn into a starbucks or a dispensary at this point that's like the only things that open up um so yeah hmm. it's it's pretty wild um but yeah so celebrating 420 month um and i guess we'll celebrate uh people acting stupid on the internet um gcw's the collective is coming up and it has turned into a major kerfuffle online um Beyond just how stupid it is, really, that they're even running. Um, but what are you going to do? I mean, UFC is going to run. Aren't they saying they're going to run just, like, no limits, full full attendance in the in the building coming up pretty soon in Florida? Uh, uh, and then um, there's the big boxing there's, there's the big boxing car with uh, Canelo Alvarez on it that's, like, already has, like, 60,000 tickets sold or some shit. Like, Jesus it's, Christ. Like, yeah, and then and then, and then obviously we have Russell, we have WrestleMania and what WWE has plans for has plans for with that. So like, yeah. you know, you know, it's not surprising it's surprising to see the bigger corporations right decide okay we're ready to make our money back that we lost in twenty twenty. Right, but the collective having just run GCW having just run a collective, you know, in October. So not even a full not just not just a collective. They also ran the Fight Forever twenty four hour stream. They also ran like, that just recently. Asking for money. Yeah. So I, yeah. So yeah. So so I think that like that's been a thing that like kind of gets lost here. That even when we were talking about it before, uh, even do, even doing a show, is that they're talking about the well WrestleMania weekend was in such close proximity that was just in October and we're only and we're only in April. They just ran the fight forever stuff in January. Yeah. So they basically, I mean, they're really squeezing their fans, and it's like. Sure, people. Some people have extra money, but a lot of people are hurting really bad, and we're we're past a year of this. You know what I mean? We've been a full year of people 
not working, limited working, not, you know, businesses being sh- sh- shut. Like, even if you are working, people who work in, like, the service economy, people who work in food service are, are not making the same money in tips and stuff. And obviously all the fight that just happened with the minimum wage and, and service sector employees are the ones who are getting paid minimum wage, you know? So it's like you're... Cutting, cutting hours. Yeah, cutting hours, working, you know, not getting the tips. Work, if you are open, you're opening... You're open, multi, like, ugh, modified schedule. Like, there's tons of reasons why people are hurting on top of just the fact that, like, it's a pandemic and maybe, like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I don't want to risk being in a building with a ton of people at this point, you know? Like, even, I think, probably even some of the people who were dumb enough, I hate to say, to say that way, even some of the people who weren't convinced at the time that they ran the collective last time up until this point may have seen enough to where maybe they've changed their tune a little bit and they're actually taking it seriously. You know, like there, there could even be that part of it as well, but to be (laughs) upset and attack, it's like, how quickly did the tone shift for GCW from like, thank you guys so much. You know, we're doing all this stuff to support the wrestlers and, and you know, Oh, we're not going to take any money. And, and, you know, I, we know you guys are hurting, so we want to put on these shows for you because we care about you and you need entertainment. So, like, you ungrateful pieces of shit, why aren't you buying tickets you to our to show? You like, hey, guys, come on. Hold <laughs> hold up your end of the deal here. Yeah, it's fucking wild. It, like, it, it's been a year of the pandemic, but it hasn't been a year of them still running shows. I mean, I guess GCW really didn't take a lot of time off. GCW um, didn't stop for shit. Yeah, they, <laughs> they didn't stop a goddamn thing. And they basically just, they, I mean, they had to cancel shows here in, in L.A., but they even ended up still running shows in Southern California during the pandemic. They found a place, you know, Orange County on a fucking Indian reservation or whatever that actually would let them do something, which is nuts to think about that they were able to pull that off still. Because, like, nobody ran anything. All This whole year, nothing was running in L.A. Like G- GCW even 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 ran outside. I'm pretty sure a couple of times, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They ran shows outside. They ran shows inside. They ran shows constantly. And the tone they, they made, like if <laughs> they yeah. made sure no matter what that they were going to run shows. Like they were the only U.S. company really. I guess I want to point to IWA Mid South that was running shows. And if you're in the same company as IWA Mid South, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not the most like that's not the most like glowing endorsement of I your mean, uh, of your moral values there that is definitely one way to put it when you are in company with ian when it's you and ian are the only ones doing something you need to take a fucking look in the mirror that is a good that is a good fucking point um ian rotten just te- ian ron just texting brett like yeah, good shit man yeah wow exactly. didn't know you had it in you got didn't know you had it in you kid right well no because the first two gcw shows were all outside it was i think it was one of them was like i remember like lee moriarty debuting or something even like early on during the pandemic and it was like all outside and ian just texted him hold my beer and he ran his first show inside you know what i mean and it was a deathmatch <laughs> tournament with people inside during a fucking pandemic like yeah yeah fucking hell but yeah, the tone, the way the tone has shifted to where now all of the fans are ungrateful and they should be proof. And you know it's from the top down. The fact that the people who are, are running the produce shows and are the face of this stuff are the ones who are being are the ones who are being the most vocal on Twitter to say things, particularly AJ Gray, obviously for the name of the episode, and Alley Cat is not a coincidence. I'm I'm sure that's coming from the top down, you know, and GCW is upset that tickets aren't being sold for these, and they're like, well, let's use the brands that 
we can say have goodwill because they're basically, you know, ID poll performative wokeness like representation shows to like make people feel bad because if you can get people to feel bad and get them in the door for you know hot girl shit or or effie's big gay brunch or or for the culture then then they'll go to the other shows right they'll buy the tickets for the other shows because they're already there so it does it does really feel that way that it's an intentional taking the thing that's already basically like an intentional woke washing tokenizing of different cultures to cover up for how shitty the company has been that we've called out multiple times. So then on top of that already being a fucking craven cash grab that it was to begin with, to also use it as your Trojan horse to be like, look at you guys, you're not supporting us and we do, we do good stuff. We do important good things for the community. We're not just a wrestling company who's been running for the entire pandemic. We're also helpful. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They think they've like built up this, like, goodwill like hey see what we've done see what we've done for you guys kind of thing yeah exactly and it is it's a hundred percent it's that like giving the scraps to the minorities and being like aren't you guys just so happy that we're so nice to let you eat the things that fall off of our table we give you the the the, you know 10 a.m slot and the fucking after midnight slot on the worst possible days we give you the worst possible times isn't that good enough? Shouldn't should not even only isn't that good enough, but like, shouldn't you be kissing our ass for us being willing to give up some of our time from you know Ricky Shane Page or or Jimmy Lloyd's Degeneration F? <laughs> like we're letting we're letting you get <laughs> like it's it's fucking nuts. And now that Ricky Shane Page is the face of of Spring Break for this year because who knows what's going on with Joey Janela, right? Uh, you can't have him going out here and being, uh, you know, trying to babyface to get crowds to come to the shows. But meanwhile, it's like, what right. the fuck? Jo- look at what Joey Janela's been posting on Twitter. I don't think he's got the cachet that he would necessarily even be helping too. If even if it was still Janela's spring break, I don't think people are they're not too in love with Joey Janela right now because he's acting like a complete prick constantly on the internet. So it's just very interesting how quickly the tone, like I said, has shifted in GCW from being for the community. We all got to get through this together. Let's, you know, let's run these shows to help support the wrestlers to you ungrateful bastards. Why don't you fucking support us more? We've been doing so many great things for you this whole year. And meanwhile, it's like, how many people have you gotten sick? How many people have caught COVID because of GCW running shows? All these great things yeah. that they're doing for the community. Um, if, you, if anyone listened to the top 101 of the decade, like, when we got to my number eleven, he couldn't get got to how I felt about um a big about about a big WWE uh, match from a couple from a couple of years ago, a couple of years a couple of years removed from the initial excitement about the match being so great and all that kind of stuff, and more so for me the thing that the, the thing that's kind of bothering me about what I'm seeing online is this kind of feeling of. Well, you got well. You guys should be thankful because of, you know, look at what we, look at what we've done, uh, and you should give that same kind of support. Not minding the fact that one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That regardless of how many people might be in a better position than, now than they are, than they were last March or last April, that this is still a precarious time for a lot of for a lot of different folks who have gone through different things, and maybe they don't necessarily feel comfortable buying tickets to go to a show in person because that is a risk that you're asking people to asking people to uh to take on 
and walk around WrestleMania weekend like most people, like most wrestling fans do, who attend it, who t- who attend these events, but also to pay for to pay for these things. And quite frankly, let's be totally honest here, shows that aren't shows that aren't that good. These are not the best looking shows on paper, no matter where you look at this from. Even from something that me and you might enjoy, like Bloodsport, this is this like. Man, I'm gonna rush. I'm gonna I'm gonna rush to go put some points on my Fight TV membership and go. I'm, I'm gonna go uh, make sure I watch the Blood Score Blood Sport card. Of course not. It's not. It's not that good. It's not that interesting right now. And these people kind of like want to fight off this. The indies aren't dead. The indies aren't dead, and kind of pass off the blame to the consumer. And if the consumer doesn't like the product, the consumer doesn't like the product. You can't sit there and make a consumer feel like that this is worth that this is worth it. I've bought wrestling a whole a whole bunch. I used to buy m- most most AAW shows before OTT had a streaming service. I would buy OTT shows. We would buy Fight Club Pro shows and Attack shows individually before yeah. they were had some sort of like streaming gimmick set up. Like yeah, progress. Tim, you, Tim, you can attest. You can attest. Yeah, 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 progress. You like you you can attest all this, right? Yeah, I mean, so, Australia, the Australian indies when they were barely getting on Vimeo, we were buying those shows. Like, yeah. It's not as if we won't spend our money on wrestling. We've done it a ton when it was stuff that we were excited to watch. People are allowed to feel like they're, but people are allowed to feel like, hey, you know, it might not be worth my money. And like, this goes to a whole like other things about like you know putting forth the effort and then working and then wanting to see the uh, the result the results of that reflect reflect reflecting your reflecting your paycheck. And for independent wrestlers, I feel like that's a very fair thing to feel. But it gets a little gross for me when it feels like uh, this, like, token representation or whatever is why we should, like, care about what's going on here. For the culture is a fine idea and concept. It's a cool idea and concept. Like, these underutilized or maybe underpushed black wrestlers get to go out there and have a platform where it's all black wrestlers and black referees and black announcers and all that stuff. And they get to, quote-unquote, be, like... unapologetically black for once a year but what about the rest of the year what about the other shows they do after that where they still where gcw still appropriates of off of black culture and hip-hop culture and they name shows after rappers or um you know uh reference sayings that are you know from from rappers and they barely book any black talent on the shows yeah what about that for the culture like you said should be annual or biannual or whatever uh uh a celebration of, like you said, unapologetic blackness that is like all of the black wrestlers who are on the shows throughout the year, all of the black employees that are on the shows throughout the rest of the year coming together for one night where it's all of them. But instead what it is, is it's the one night where there's any black people booked. You know, like yeah. it really should be a celebration of like, yeah, theoretically, like the all of the black wrestlers that we use all year long come together one night and it's just, it's just black it's just you know BIPOC wrestlers whatever whatever they want to do but instead it's like no this is just their one night rather than being just a, a night of celebration for them it's like yeah exactly yeah it didn't it doesn't actually lead to anything or the fact that a white woman in alley cat like can sit there and during their 24-hour stream can run a show called alley girls real hot girl shit a fucking show that had three black women on it despite the name despite the namesake of the show being a black woman yeah exactly <laughs> like, it's like, like where like, are you getting this like, yeah like why would i want like why would i want to sit there and give you money either when that when that's the kind of effort that you're putting forth 
for your quote unquote representation. Like, and I, and I know that's probably not like this like widespread opinion that is uh, the driving force behind most of the reasons why the collective might not be might not be might not be selling as well or might not be doing as well in the market. The fact that it was just in October probably is a big part here. Some people are still worried about still worried about the pandemic and that you're asking a lot from people to go and treat this like a regular WrestleMania weekend. That's still a lot you're asking from people. So those are probably like the driving factors here. But if I had to like isolate it and look at myself and the things that bother me about GCW a couple of years ago and that's still bothering me right now, I have no interest in watching these shows because what the fuck? You guys do this shit and then it means nothing. You book you you book these people you book these people once twice a year and only do it for these big tokenized you know tokenizing pro- produce shows that you that you run that you run at two in the afternoon and then nothing happens after that. Like the outrage the outrage that people had of like AJ over AJ Gray and well what the fuck he won he won the title and then he didn't even get to like have a title match afterwards or even get his revenge nothing and we're just going back to Ricky Champagne versus Nick Gage and maybe maybe. Maybe they finally go back to AJ Gray versus AJ Gray versus Nick Gage after that, or AJ Gray versus Sh- for Rick versus Ricky Shane Page. But if I'm supposed to look at this and I see that no black wrestler really was used for the better in GCW after two for the culture shows because they did the one in October and then they did the Fight Forever show. If I'm supposed to look at this and it's still the same shit, it's still the same cultural appropriating while barely using any black talent. And they're doing it a third time in a short span of time. Why the fuck would I want to watch that show? Yeah, like, like, there's been no progress. There's no progress. It's it's literally watching like a, a you know a fucking theater of diversity basically, and it's openly seen. As you said, like even look when when for the culture was the first one was getting announced, we talked about it and talked about AJ Gray being top wrestler in the indies. Calvin Tankman, Lee Moriarty, all guys that they should be focusing on and using more regularly. And look where they're at now, where, like, Lee Moriarty is the IWTV champion, right? Why doesn't he hold any championship in GCW? Well, because they have one title, basically, because every other title that they have just does not matter, and they don't focus on it because they don't tell any storylines, they don't build anything, they don't make anything matter. And you're still to the point where they book, like... Guys who should be focused and guys who who should be top of the card people in random throwaway fucking multi-person tag team matches, multi-person, you know, four ways, three ways, all that kind of stuff. And they just completely waste talent that should be pushed. And what a glaring thing when I looked at the For the Culture card, and I, I mentioned to this someone, like, privately, but it's like, I look at this For the Culture card, and I'm I'm sorry, but, like, if this is supposed to be a celebration of, like, black wrestling and, like, the future, like, there's so many people on here who I just feel like they're they're fine, they're okay, but the glaring absence to me is, like, someone like Alex Kane. Like, I'm sorry, but if you're booking an all-black wrestler show and you want to show that you have your finger on the pulse of, of what's, you know, going on in black wrestling, Alex Kane's got to be on your fucking show. Like, he's so good right now, he's got a, he's part, getting part, buzz. Part, part of- Part of it's part of it feel part of it has that like part of it like is has the for the culture, black wrestlers, black everything branding, but then there's the GCW feel of it where it's like ooh we're we're wacky so yeah. here's this match and it's like exactly well no like what the fuck like, like like that's not really like the kind of thing that I necessarily want from from this so 
I mean, just for re- for reference here, and the fact that they were still doing shit like this, even after even after um uh, for the, col- the the first for the culture they did. So a month later, after WrestleMania, after WrestleMania weekend, they they run shows in November and December of 2020. <laughs> and Tim, would you like to know what they are called? Uh oh, uh was it like um. Slime season number two. What was Slime it? season. Yes. And so much fun. Perfect. So, yeah. So <laughs> so much fun being so much fun being the one uh, that it came uh, from. You know, Young Thug's like super successful album and Slime season like that's been associated with Young Thug forever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's like one, maybe two black wrestlers on Slime season. Yeah. They did another show at the beginning of this year called 56 Nights. Are you familiar with 56 Nights? Yeah. <laughs> they even stole yeah. the fucking the like Arabic writing like for the the posters and stuff. Now granted, I'll say that I'll say that I'll say that I see more more black wrestlers on 56 Nights than a, than a lot than a lot than a lot of the shows that they've done. But still like it's kind of like it's like I feel like a too little like a too little too late thing. It feels like you're not actually doing anything. It's not people. These are people that you regularly book. Like you, you don't regularly book Trey Lamar, right? Like this is it still it still feels like you're not actually making like making any changes here. So it's like if that if that's the impression I'm getting from you, and this has and this and this is continue and this is continuing to be a thing, and then I sit there and see that. You're about to run. You you ran a show called Take Care. You're about to run a show with uh with, v, with VXS called Luke called Lucid Dreams. Like, yeah. <laughs> fuck, how am I supposed to feel about that? Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh man, with all of that talk about how much um, GCW ran during the pandemic, I just pulled this up because you mentioned Trey Lamar. Trey Lamar, and if there's anybody who like should be getting booked in GCW regularly, um. It would be Trey Lamar now that AJ Gray is like their one of their guys, right? Like Trey Lamar is AJ Gray's boy, and like he should be getting booked regularly. He's been on nine of their shows since the first time um, that he was on <laughs> the World on GCW, which is another great title, um, World without an O, just to make it that much more clear what the reference is. Um, and most of these are like homecoming back to back, so two nights in a row. Uh, stuff that's like over the course of a collective weekend he's got three matches right because he's working three shows that are all happening back to back so it's like even he's barely getting booked he's probably get got booked for like three or four weekends and he's a guy who's closely connected to theoretically someone who should be their top guy and realistically the face of their you know ethnicity division and he can't get booked more than like four times for like four weekends throughout an entire year with all the fucking shows that they ran. That's wild. Yeah, it's like, how is that you supposed to feel about that? And then, you know, then, then like, you know, I don't know how much you want to get into this. Like, it goes even beyond what's going on here. But the idea of what representation is here and then even the people that belong to these marginalized groups feeling like, well, we have this. So why don't you support this? It's like ah man, like it's 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 way way tougher and more and more and more nuanced than that. Like I, like I like I wish like I wish it was that simple. <laughs> like I really do wish it was that simple, but like it's not. Well, I don't want to and... give my money to Brett Lauderdale via AJ Gray. 
the idea that like I'm supporting right. I'm supporting BIPOC people by giving money to Brett Lauderdale. Why? Yeah, like like how like how much like the whole the whole stream. I don't know. I would love to hear someone talk more in depth about the changes that like streaming and all that stuff has made to like wrestler payouts or whatever. But like. I don't know how much different wrestlers pay is based off of based off of this kind of stuff. I don't like like there's no reason for me to like just uh be whimsical and optimistic about the about the payouts being bigger because the, because more people because more people watch the show. Like there's real there's really no evidence of that. <laughs> Not even in WWE. Like they yeah, they so like, only recently so, so, started so, so, saying so, so, Yeah, go ahead. So, so, so I was supposed to think that Brett Lauderdale's doing that? No, it's not happening. <laughs> Indie wrestlers get paid their their rate, and that's it. Sometimes they even try to get their rate cut if the house isn't good enough or whatever fucking weird shady bullshit. And I'm not accusing Brett Lauderdale specifically of any of that. I'm just saying this is how indie wrestling historically has worked. They get paid their rate, their flat rate, that's it. And if the show draws or it doesn't draw or if it, you know, whatever, it doesn't affect them unless, unless it affects them negatively by the promoter being shady and trying to cut their pay and pay them less because it didn't draw, but they're not getting paid any extra because it does draw. You know, you hear every now and then maybe a few very small stories that there'll be a little something extra in the envelope, not based on the houses usually in indie wrestling, but based on if the promoter really liked someone's match, they'll give them a little something extra. Those are the kind of stories that you hear, but very rarely does the draw affect what an indie wrestler is getting paid. So yeah, the idea that that I should care that Brett Lauderdale makes his money back because he's putting together this fake fucking, like you said, representation bullshit for AJ Gray, Alley Cat, Effie. Like, I'm sorry, but no. And, and like, on top of that, the politics of the whole thing, like, the, the fucking tweet from Alley Cat that, you know, I think you mentioned before we got on, but, like, vote with your dollars bullshit is just buying into the capitalist narrative that the only thing that matters is being a consumer... And the only way that you prove your value is through capital. And, like, that's the issue. We're, you're never going to get equality through capitalism. And the idea that I need to vote with my dollars for equality is not the case. And if I'm going to do that, it's not going to be through paying Brett Lauderdale. It's going to be through supporting actually, like, businesses that are actually run and owned by the people of those groups. And that's the thing. I mean, I've already referenced it once, but like the IWTV model and the promotions there are is a lot. I'm a lot more inclined to support that because number one, they have multiple promotions that are actually owned by the people that they supposedly represent. You've got promotions where the people who own and promote the shows are BIPOC, are LGBTQ plus, are women. You know what I mean? Rather than it's all owned by one white man, and but he put he lets them show up. Number one. And number two, like, historically, IWTV has has presented and pushed and utilized talents of all different races, genders, sexualities, everything. And they're not just, like, tokens that are just that character. I mean, we talked about it, but IWTV has a top guy for a very long time in one of their most predominant promotions who is a black gay performer... And that's never been the way that they've been presented. Their character has never been presented that way. You know, it's not something that's hidden, but it's never like, watch this show so that you can see our champion who is a black gay man. 
Never once. And they have multiple. I mean, they have multiple people who fit that description. I think most people will probably know exactly who I'm talking about, but I can think of more than one. And that is IWTV's, like, presentation. So it's really tough when GCW starts this war with IWTV, even if, let's say, you scrub any possible background information that's not out there in the open that some people do or don't know, just from the front-facing things that are easy to see, how do you not pick the IWTV side? On top of the fact that GCW this weekend comes down and GCW shows are like $15 each or $140 for the bundle, IWTV shows are $10. $10 flat rate, you see everything. Like, how do you not support that? The, pe the people who understand and meet people where they are and treat it like, you know, like they actually treat it like, let's let these voices be heard and not just like give this like vague approximation of representation to them. Yeah, and, like, uh, and obviously that's kind of like also contained like GCW is like overextending. Once they saw what the, what their market was, what their following was, and how quickly they capitalized on that and turned that into them touring all over the place and going from Jersey to Philly to Indiana to California to uh new, to to New York and joint and joint shows with every promotion that you can every every promotion that you can think of and like really capitalizing on, on that. Like that same kind of mindset is what leads to this situation right here. Because they didn't have the self-awareness to think about, hmm, it's probably not the best time to try to do our usual shit. Yeah. The way that we the way that we've capitalized off WrestleMania, off WrestleMania weekend in the last few years, it may it might not make the most sense right now. And instead of being able to to confront that and think about that, the thing that they'd rather fall back on is, hmm, you guys aren't being supportive enough. Yeah. You guys need to vote with your dollars. I mean, even WrestleMania is not selling as many tickets as they normally would. You would think that GCW would understand that they're not going to sell the same amount of tickets as they would expect. That and they would anyone's, and anyone's going to take that risk. They're going to go. They're going to take. They're going to go to the shows that they really want to see. So they're going to go to like WrestleMania. I'm not. Is NXT running a build? Running a building? I still don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything about the NXT thing, but NXT is running two nights. I mean. Okay, they're not you're not hurting for content when it comes to if you just want to watch WWE stuff. They're they are running from like Wednesday through Sunday and pretty regular the entire time. I mean real I mean really if you think about it cuz every cuz now it's going to be like all these like different post shows. It's like it's Wednesday through whatever whenever SmackDown is. Like it's all is all the best is the both takeovers and both WrestleMania nights and then it's Raw and then it's NXT and then it's SmackDown. Like yeah. like like really, really, it's like it's all these different things. Yeah, no, it it is. It's like they are running a ton <laughs> of stuff already. On top of like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I don't think they're going to do fan access, but maybe they are. So if they have any shows okay. at fan access, whatever. All right, uh, yeah, NXT is only doing um the Performance Center. Okay, with so, fans. Uh, I don't think fan. I don't think I don't okay. think fans have ever, ever been ever been ever in been the, the PC other than yeah, other yeah. than the tours. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it, I think that I think that's it. And then obviously there's both there's both WrestleMania nights. Uh, right. The first night is Lisa Raymond James. I'm not sure if the second night is Raymond James too. Okay, both night both nights are Raymond James. Yeah. So if you're a wrestling fan and you're gonna go to Tampa, say like for some reason you just really want to go when you're in the area and you're like, fuck it, I haven't done anything because, you know, in, in, in Florida, COVID, COVID doesn't exist, apparently. Like, if you if for some reason you want to go, I think that you'd rather go, you, like, if you'd probably 
prefer to go to the WrestleManias to sit there and go from building the building, messing around, messing around with these indie shows. Yeah, no, at, I mean, le- at least at least at least in this at least at least in this circumstance right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I would I would feel even if it's pro- it's possibly and I'll even say probably incorrect, I would feel slightly safer at a WWE show, or I think that a lot of people would feel like it's going to be safer and they're going to do a better job of following protocols at WWE shows than they are at GCW shows, right? Like, I just, I I can understand why people would think that. Like I said, I don't know if I would necessarily say that it's correct. WWE is, theoretically, they have these rules about the pods and where you can sit and they're like, they have a protocol that they've officially announced about it where you can, you can order like six seat pods and you can't sell them. You can't split that up there to, to, to use a term that's really hot right now. There's six seat pods that are non fungible. Um, so like you have to, basically they have to stay in a pod of six. You can't sell two of them to other random people or whatever. They can't be scalped. Uh, there are, I've been hearing that there are aftermarket ticket sales going on or or secondary market ticket sales going on. Uh, Things are being scalped, but who knows? Because the official stance is you can't just sell random pieces, piecemeal stuff. So it's like, okay, if you see that on paper, you go, well, WWE might be safer. GCW, what has been their official protocol that they've announced? I haven't seen much except for, like, we're going to expect you to wear a mask, right? Like. At this point, I'm pretty sure they're just like we want to sell tickets, just whatever, anything goes. So yeah, and 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 if, and if they're not wearing a mask, it's like, are they really like really gonna sit there and put put put, put like you know like crack, like crack down on that? Right. Do you expect if you you have to wear your mask into the building? But how many shows have you already seen at this point where you see GCW fans in the crowd with their masks down, with their masks not on properly, with all different? So it's like, yeah, I'm 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 gonna say I won't. I'm already pushing it. I'm saying to myself, you know, this is the this is the reasonable WrestleMania traveling fan. I'm already pushing it. I'm going to Florida. It's crazy. Let's say I got vaccinated, but you know, who knows? I'm going to just play it safe this year and only go to WrestleMania. I bet a lot of the same people are going to go to both nights, so it's like I'm I'm even like theoretically exposed to just the same people for two nights. And that's already a lot of wrestling is two nights of WrestleMania. I don't need to go to any of these indie shows. And I don't blame people for seeing it that way. On top of the money, on top of the travel, on top of everything. Yeah, it's, 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 it's two WrestleMania shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 that, like, that's already like, oh, it'll be shit. Yeah, it's gonna be not super, super totally packed in there. And versus going into and doing and doing this like the typical WrestleMania WrestleMania weekend run around with the Indies, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that instead. And then again, everything else that we said, they just ran in October. Yeah. Yeah, and then on top of it, the shows are bad. What they did? Oh, yeah. And then people, this, this is people's first chance to see WWE live since what, like the Royal Rumble or some shit. Yeah, exactly. It's been over a or, year. Or, or around that. Yeah, it's been over a year. You haven't been able to go to WWE, and I'll say this, and this is coming from me, so you know this is a lot. Like these weekend WrestleMania weekend shows from GCW are not good enough to where I would like say I would definitely want to go to those shows instead of WWE. Like the WrestleMania I've, shows I'll, are like fine comparatively. I've always said that I will never go to WWE show, and I'm telling you, I would much rather watch what WWE has going on these has going on on both of these shows than anything from the from the collective, really. Yeah. And like again, I'll sit there and I'll watch Bloodsport. I'll watch the um. I'll watch Be Sad, Have Fun. 
Like, but those are the only things that I, I'm really interested in from the, from the weekend. If I'm being totally honest with yeah. you, which I think B said have fun is probably uh, IWTV, anyways, right? Or is it right? Yeah, so it's like so yeah, yeah. So you can you can't you can't even like sit there and like give the collective credit for that. <laughs> yeah, so it's just yeah, it's 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 pretty simple to me the the calculus on why this is happening. So going online and throwing a fit and whining at people why they're not supporting it, it's like you should pretty easily be able to parse this out and accept it and really go back to the fucking books and say what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? Not. What's wrong with the fans? That's the craziest part about the whole thing. But this is the yeah. this is the game that people have played for years, and it sucks. It sucks really bad when your business is on the backslide and you feel like there's nothing you can do to, to fix it, to correct the course, and you feel like you've been dealt an unfair hand because something outside of your control in the pandemic is obviously hurting your business. But when it comes down to it, like, you know, the Paul Bosch thing, right? It's like... The reason why the people don't come is because they didn't want to see your ma- your main event. That's it. You booked the wrong fucking show. It's it, when it really finally comes down to it, you make all the excuses in the world, but the real answer is that you didn't put on a show that people wanted to see, and that's where GCW's at, and they need to accept that. The thing that maybe they do better on walk ups. I'm not sure, like if they're even really doing that, but like, yeah. would you expect like maybe walk ups will be better? I would think that people who feel uncomfortable financially or other reasons might show up on walk ups, possibly. I think there's a chance of it if it's allowed, but I don't think that they'll do great, but we'll see. All right, ready to move on from that? Yeah, let's move on from that, and I'll uh, just do some quick hits on uh, on something that was on IWTV. It was, uh, you know, supporting, or not supporting, but showing the culture. Uh, Cassandra Cup, um, Butch V. Gore, maybe, Billy, Billy uh, Jesus Christ, how did I, how did I forget his name? Um, Billy Dixon. Billy Dixon, yeah. promoted iwtv promoted cassandra cup um here's the thing like effie's big gay brunch and oh it's fun they they book like lgbtq plus people for this show but like the cassandra cup did the similar thing but they also integrated it into the greater iwtv story and universe by saying the winner of this tournament gets a title shot they actually put something on the line they actually present a wrestling show where it's a tournament building to something and not a Twink Battle Royal. That hey, I'm not even gonna hate on it because I thought the Twink Battle Royal was fun. Pero was was really good in it. Like the story that they told throughout that was fun, but it was like it was fluff. It was fucking fluff. And this is a wrestling show with a tournament, which is always a great narrative to do a one night tournament and actually tell a story that builds. And they did a pretty good job of building the story. Um, obviously right off the bat, the a bummer. I'll say a bummer, not just for the show, but a bummer in life is that uh, Wavra, Wavra, we talked about it before, um, was on this show. And before the show was released, a lot of really bad shit came out online about them and their match was not shown. Um, It's a bummer, like I said, in the real world, the biggest part is that that they're a piece of shit and that they abuse people. And on top of that, they uh, said a lot of derogatory and mean things to people. Um, and hurt a lot of people. It's a positive that hopefully they step away from social media, they step away from wrestling, and and possibly better themselves. And who knows from there. And it's also a bummer for, like I said, for the show. On top of just a match that I would like to see with Waver versus AC Mack, it also hurts the narrative of a tournament that you don't see every match in the tournament. It's a pretty basic 
psychology thing for wrestling, right? But I understand the decision to pull it, right? Okay. Um, so that's like uh, off the first hand. That's a bummer. But from the from the really from the start of the show all the way through, they they told a pretty pretty good narrative. Clearly, the people that they were focusing on from the opening round were Ashton Star and Edith Surreal. Um, Ashton Star looked better than they have in the past. Um, still not great, but character-wise, and especially working as a heel throughout the tournament, I think that they did a good job. Um, and Edith Surreal is really coming into their own as a like a more technical style wrestler, um, and showed like a lot of depth um, as wrestling like different styles throughout the tournament. Opening round, Edith Surreal was like a bully who was like overpowering and had better technique than Erica Lee, her opponent. Um, and then through the middle, they go up against Killian Murphy, who is playing a very solid heel, um, and they're selling, and they do like a basically like a, a, a you know get the shit kicked out of them, really hard fought in the middle of the show, in the middle of the tournament match to basically set up Edith Surreal being injured or weakened going into the main event while you have Ashton Starr, who has a pretty easy victory over AC Mack in the semifinals. So you're leading to Ashton Starr is now firmly shown as a heel, had an easy middle round match uh, while Edith, Edith Surreal has the sympathy on her for having gotten worked over and is injured and is the sympathetic babyface going into the main event. So perfect, easy storytelling for a one night tournament to get you to the main event where you're rooting for Edith Surreal and you're, you know, you don't want the dastardly heel and Ashton Star who got the easy way out winning in the end. So they did a super good job on that. Edith Surreal overcomes, gets the big win. Super cathartic, awesome. You know, so it's just like really well done storytelling for a one night tournament. Um, you get the gist, you get the stories very easily from beginning to end. So I definitely recommend if you want to take the time to watch the whole thing. It's not the best wrestling on the planet. Like I said, there's... No there's not like a ton of really great matches to be seen. Edith Surreal is shows promise, but it's not like phenomenal. And I think could build to being very good, but it's just not quite there yet. But for like the basic, this is a show where like, I can't tell you cherry pick. This is like a watch it from the beginning to the end so that you get invested in the storyline and, and you'll enjoy the payoff for that. Um, but if you don't have the time, you don't really want to invest in watching the whole show, then it's like, it's a, it's a skippable thing, but it's not a, yeah, it's not a cherry pick show. It's a watch the whole thing show. At least watch all of the tournament. You can kind of skip the non-tournament matches. There's nothing there that's, that's particularly standout either. But again, like I said, to actually integrate the people and not just tokenize LGBTQ plus people and be like, we give them whatever, like they actually make it into something you actually tell a wrestling story. Um, IWTV as a whole really focuses on telling stories like narratively that continue to like build from show to show, which is another reason why it's like worthwhile to compare to GCW uh, because GCW does not tell any fucking stories. Um, so yeah, it's like it, like I said, worthwhile if you want if you're if you have the time to watch the entire thing, I'd say check out the tournament matches at least. Um, and if you don't, then yeah, just don't worry about it. You can skip it. Um something i want to get in real quick because um no, oh, now no. been doing some been doing some dragon gate catch up um having gotten to the most to the latest show that has the shoe skywalker versus uh K 
Cosmo title defense, but caught the March 6th show. I already saw, I saw the the Shun versus Ishida title match. thought that was disappointing, um, but still, like, there were parts of it I liked, but, like, super disappointing, all, thing, all things considered. From March 6th, uh, Keisuke Okuda versus, uh, versus Hyo. Really, really fine. Tim, I think that you'd like that. I'm not sure if you, uh, ever went back, ever went back and saw it, but I really liked it. The nice mix of seriousness that comes from Okuda and his style and heel chicanery and slick, cl- slick, clever stuff that Hyo brings to the table. Really enjoyed that. And there's a natural vibes. KZ, Susumu, and Genki versus uh, Hip Hop Okuda, uh, Dia Inferno, and uh, Diamante Triangle Gate match. That's uh that's 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 real fun too. I didn't like that nearly as much as I think our pal uh, Simon from Handwork did. I preferred Keisuke Okuda versus Hyo, but both of those matches from the March Six Dragon Gate show. So if you have the time, you should go back and you go you should go back and check out. Yeah, I have not done any Dragon Gate catch up for a bit, and I need to get on that. And I was actually planning on it, especially um, when that Shun Casmo uh, match was getting a bunch of. Uh, a bunch of praise. I was like, ah, I got to do some Dragon Gate catch up. But the problem is, I don't want to just like watch the the newest hot Dragon Gate match. I want to like take the time to go back and catch up thoroughly from the beginning, you know, or from where I left off last, which is not that far. I think I'm only a few shows behind. Um, but uh, I have not seen any of that yet. Um, so let's talk about DDT Judgment 2021. Um. I know you didn't watch the whole show. I did. Um, this was easily digestible. Are you are you a whole show guy all the time? No, like, no, I was. Like, you can like a, okay. I was for the longest time, but I've gotten I've really kind of changed that, and I don't really do it anymore as much. But this show, I started it from the beginning, and I just I wanted to just see the opening match. And then it just kind of was easy to keep watching. So I just let it keep right. going. Um, and I just didn't ever end up skipping anything because this was really brief. And I usually for Judgment, I am not like fully engaged because it's just so long. Judgment shows tend to be like way too fucking long. Everything takes too long. There's like a ton of like boring matches that I don't... Not boring, but there's just a ton of matches that I don't really care about. Multi-man tags and stuff like that. But this did not have like a ton of bloat. And everything went, like, relatively quick. Like, the show itself is, like, you know, I don't know, like, maybe two hours? Like, it's not even that long for Judgment. And uh, and so I, I, I just started it, and I was going to... I was planning on just skipping around, but I ended up just letting it play. And by the time I got to Hiroshima versus uh, Yukio, which is, I think, the first match on the show that you saw, um, yeah, I was like... Oh shit! It's almost over. <laughs> I like didn't realize that I would just kept watching everything. Um, the undercard stuff is fine. There's nothing like amazing, but like I said, easy to watch. Um, definitely an easy to watch Dragon Gate, especially Judgment show. Like you don't really see Judgments are long usually. Um, so yeah, this was this was nice. Um, but Hiroshima versus Yukio. Um, like I said, this was like the first. This was the first match on the show that you saw relatively quick what did you think of this i mean harassment harassment yukio are always are always really good together uh always like a the floor is always super high always super high with them higher than most pairings in wrestling so this is super quick it was like six minutes right yeah 
it goes goes six minutes, but it's super it's super engaging all throughout. And I, I, I would think that you're familiar with the <laughs> with the tweet Simon put out that one time where people got mad about where he called Tanahashi like the best pro style mat worker of the last twenty years yes. and had all these different caveats in it, and people still got mad about it. Yes. So Brock Brock said it, but it's not that it's not that. This, it's not that the tweet is wrong for like some outlandish reason. It's because it's actually Hiroshima. Hiroshima is actually the best <laughs> at, 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 at at that, and it, you know, it's probably it's probably true. Like when you go and look at Hiroshima and his res and his resume, and even someone like me who's a super huge fan of his, if you go back and look at him and his mat work versus uh, versus Sakaguchi all these different times, or with the Bushi or with Kudo and all these in di- all these different circumstances, going back at the, oh god, what's what's the dude's name like? With someone named like Makoto back in like 2010, he had like some mat. He had he had a, a match with that was match with that was definitely more mat work based. But anyway, that's that's been Hiroshima. He's been good at that for a long time. So you you throw him in there with Sakaguchi and Sakaguchi's background and his style, and of course, of course, those two are gonna go out there and have a really good six minute match. They can go out there and work and work that kind of style. They like, they can go yeah. they can go out there and work a six minute match and put something from him put something from ambition or bloodsport to shame those guys that's what those guys can do I really enjoyed it yeah it was it was super great the 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 chemistry between the two is perfect they know each other super well uh, like you said Hiroshima I think yeah I think the comparison obviously the comparison between Hiroshima and Tanahashi is always there but but when it comes to something like this you can see that difference because. As good as Tanahashi is, like if you do a comparison point, like the Tanahashi Sakuraba matches, or not Sakuraba, although probably equally the same, but uh, Shibata matches don't hit like this in the same way where it comes to like like Tanahashi feeling like he can stand toe to toe on the mat with with him the same way where Hiroshima, yeah, like he comes across like he could totally wrestle on the mat equally with Sakaguchi here. Um, and uh, I love the post-match interaction, the personality stuff there. It's like Hiroshima is just all-timer when it comes to babyface ace. The guy is just, I don't know, he's got that hes got that charisma. He's phenomenal. And this was a great match building up to the, the big tag team title match with uh, Eruption going up against uh, Hiroshima and <laughs> Yuji Okabayashi um, on the big, is it like the Cyber Fight Festival shows or whatever, so... So yeah, like this was this was perfect for what it was. It was really quick, but it was also setting up something. Uh, follow that up, eight man tag team match. If you got the new uh, Sauna Club, I guess whatever it is, like it's a play. It's like the same as High Sixty Nine, where actually his name was Hiroki or, or Hiro. Damn it, um, Hiroki, like Hiroki Goto, but it was uh, um, Hiroki Sixty Nine is, is playing out the, the the numbers and the way that they're pronounced. So same thing here. The 37, I guess, still represents sauna. It's like a play on words. Um, so I don't know how we're going to like refer to this stable in English. I also kind of hope this stable isn't a long-term thing as much as I like um, the vibe. Like it, There's one glaring thing that stands out going up against Damnation. Um, and that thing is uh, Takashita, who is taking April off from DDT. So that also is part of why I think the stable maybe is not long for this world, or maybe, um, maybe it is, and it's just Takashi is not going to be in it. But it stood out to me in this match that it, like the other guys in the Sauna Club, uh, Mao, Shunma, and Ueno, all felt like they had chemistry with each other. They felt like a team that under like 
were all part of the same unit. They did like triple team spots together. Ueno um, faking out the dive and then laughing his ass off when he gets back onto the corner to wait for a tag. I thought was like this great little personality bit. All that stuff was phenomenal. And then it was like also Takashita's with them. And he's supposed to be in their unit, but he just did not feel like he fit in. Um, there's a ton of different ways that he didn't feel like he fit in with the rest of the group, but like, like it was just glaringly obvious. <laughs> like he did not fit in with the group. Um, so I just, I, I, I definitely noticed that. Um, and then they're going up against Damnation, who obviously they've been together for a long time. Everybody in the group definitely feels cohesive. So yeah, I just kind of came out of this, like that was kind of my, uh, my takeaway from it is that Sonic Club is pretty good, except for the fact that Takashita just doesn't seem like he fits in. And uh, Damnation, still good. But this was, you know, this had its spots. I liked the stuff with the other three members of Sonic Club interacting with each other. I would like to see them continue on. And I won't even say that the stuff that, that Takashita did in the match was bad. Um, but, like, when, like, a primary big chunk of his output in the match is, like, the stuff with, with uh, Mad Polly. Um, which was not, like I said, not bad. Like, honestly, you get you get decent stuff from Takashita and Man Pauly in this match, which is not something that I would necessarily say you expect. But but uh, Takashita, I mean, he can he can wrestle with pretty much anyone and make it be pretty decent. So so yeah, I don't know, Quentin. What did you think about this? It's really fun. This is a super it's a super fun match. I love Yuji Hino. I'm glad that he's getting to do something in a more pro in a more prominent prominent promotion than. Just uh, I guess zero one, and where he got to do zero some fun zero one stuff for a couple of years, but I'm, it's cool to it's cool to see him back in a you know in a in a higher profile setting, even if he's not getting pushed super hard. But yeah, totally with you that again. Takashita just feels off, like not that he's not good. Takashita's still having great matches. He's been having good matches all year. It's the fact that you look at this feeling you look at this like, you look at this group and he's well, he's worked with Shunma and he's done tag matches with Mao but again it just doesn't feel like he kind of he totally belongs here he, he he does feel like the odd man out so while I am enjoying this and I'm enjoying the matches that this group is producing because it's, it's a fun group yeah. you know Mao Mao for as much as we've like given him shit the last the last year or so Mal, when he's in a reduced role, like he was with Moonlight Express, when he can just go, go out there and do cool shit, Mal, is still, Mal can still be fun. And Shunma is always a ball of energy. We've talked about how good Yuki Ueno is, and Takashita doesn't really need to, doesn't need to be praised here. Like, this is a, from a match quality standpoint, this is a group that can, that can match all, that can match all out. Maybe, maybe if they're even just a little, just a tiny bit worse, Maybe. But I think the the big interest here is what exactly is the end goal here with Takashita, because if they're putting more behind Ueno, then does it really make sense to have Ueno and Takashita in the same group? Because eventually someone has to beat Akiyama, and considering that uh, that Takashita is who Akiyama got got his stripe got his stripes off of, wouldn't it make sense for Takashita to go and want to redeem that loss? Wouldn't it make the most booking sense? I don't know, like. That, that that's that's what I, that's what I would be thinking. So, you know, our pal Evan has talked about Takashita maybe turning heel and joining and joining and joining Damnation and giving him a giving him a, a sorely needed fresh coat of paint. But I don't know. This this it may, that makes Thirty Seven Kamina a really interesting unit to to look for to look uh to look forward to in the future because with Yuki Ueno being on the streak that he's on and 
Takashita is still being kind of still kind of being on the outside looking out of the title picture. You know, you can't imagine that stays like that forever. Yeah, it does. It does feel almost like it would make sense for for the unit to be just a setup vehicle for uh, a Takashita turn. Um, it wouldn't be crazy for it to be that way, and then we can kind of do something else with everyone else here. Um, because it does. You're right. Like the match quality could be there. Um, the interactions, like yeah, with the like I mentioned, the other three, including Mao, which was a good point. Like in the triple team tag team stuff with Mao, Shunma, and Ueno, Mao looked better than he has in the past year or since his return or whatever. So in that setting, like okay, it works. But this could be. It does feel a little bit. A little bit too lighthearted, a little bit too much just having fun, and could be that it is just a, it's really just like kind of a red herring setup stable to lead to a Takashita turn. That's not the craziest thing when you just look at the way that everything's being presented and the way everything feels, that this is leading to something else. But who knows? Like I said, with them announcing like that... Takashita is taking April off. I don't know what that was about, what that means, and where it goes from there, because it is odd to think that he's just going to be gone for a month. Um, but who even knows yeah, how much DT runs? Go ahead. Yeah, I see people kind of like, most people kind of took that and assumed that he'd be wrestling. And I'm just like, what if he's not wrestling? Like, you know, Tim, you, you've seen DDC shows this year. Doesn't it feel like Takashita is just kind of aimless in the promotion right now? That, like, he's having good matches. The. Match with yeah. Mao versus Socket versus versus Eruption is really awesome. It's a super good match. But he's a guy that's kinda aimless at the moment. So everyone's talking about he's gonna he could uh go and do AEW shots and that'd be cool, but honestly I could really see Takashita just not wrestling for a month. And maybe maybe he comes back and just comes back to doing 30, 37 comedy like it's nothing, but I hope that the Takashita being gone for a month is so he can return, and it's like, oh shit, Takashita's doing this now. But we'll see. Yeah, I think the best thing would be for him to to actually take the month off, recharge, and come back fresh with something new, and do like yeah, like a, a fresh coat of paint. And a heel turn might not be the worst thing because we haven't had a top guy heel Takashita really ever. So wouldn't be the worst thing to like actually get something different because he has been super stale super stagnant uh like you said fundamentally wrestling wise in ring it's there it's 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 decent matches but it is missing what makes Takashita great which is that connection and that you know the 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 investment and the storyline and all that and that's just that has not been there at all so so we'll see um main event Big time match. Uh, Higuchi versus Akiyama for the KOD open weight title match. Following up on their world win uh, KO, or King of DDT tournament match that was like super quick. Um, almost squashed. Was, it King, was it King of DDT, King of DDT or, no, no, no. or the Grand Prix? It was the Grand Prix. Yes, yes. Um, I, I forgot the King of DDT is a separate thing. Um, the Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's, weird to, it's weird to remember that DDT has their own New Japan Cup and then yeah, G1. Exactly. Like, it is. I was, a, like, oh, I was like, oh shit, you guys have both of these. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that. 
Um, following up on a really, really kick-ass match that they did on, like, was it the last night or the second to the last night of the Grand Prix? Um, yeah, it was the second to the last because Higuchi, I think, had a bye on the last night. Um, where Higuchi yeah, just... He did, he, he, and he, yeah, and he, he had no way of making it to the final either. Right. But he absolutely railroaded the Junakiyama and just crushed him in, like, a couple minutes and beat him. And then we go into this, and it's... Akiyama's now the champion, and this feels like the best shot that Higuchi has had maybe ever at winning the championship. He's going up against mm-hmm. the guy who he's he dispatched relatively easily already for the title. Um and, and, and there's like a and there's like a palpable tension here with, you know, you see in the video package that Akiyama's an outsider. Akiyama's made his made his career doing all Japan and Noah. Higuchi's whole thing is I don't respect that. I I came up through DDT. I I do everything. I came up came up through DNA and I'm still helping take rings apart. I live and breathe DDT. I don't want this outsider coming in here and trying to be the face of face of the company. So even then there's this like dynamic here of the homegrown DDT guy facing the out facing the outsider and Higuchi taking offense to everything that Akiyama's done so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um Higuchi comes out, he's got the like ceremonial sumo robe. Um which is not necessary. Oh yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Oh. Oh, god damn it. Tim, do you hear me? I hear you. I hear you. My mic was muted, I guess. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah. I will start over from where I was at. I heard everything you said. Right. Um Okay. So yeah. So Higuchi comes out and he's got like this ceremonial sumo robe, which is not necessarily what he's been wearing for his entrances recently. Regularly. And like you said, there's like a certain there's a certain element here where it definitely this could ease. I mean, it's judgment, so it's the big show, but it's also like pandemic. The show has been quick. Like I said, I watched it from the beginning to the end, and it didn't feel like judgment. It didn't feel like the big show of the year. Um, so coming into it, I could definitely see thinking like the presentation, everything that's going on. June just won the title relatively recently. That there's no way that Higuchi wins this, but the presentation, the the background. The, you know, like I said, Higuchi coming out here with the special robe to really signify that this was a big deal to him. Um, It did seem like there was a major possibility that Higuchi could win this. Um, He's he's barefoot. Yeah, he's barefoot, which I I was like, it took me a minute to be like, is that normal? Does he he not wear boots all the time because he's a sumo? And then I was like, no, he regularly wears boots. But like, it did cross my mind for a second. Like, did I just not notice that he never wears boots? And I was like, no. He usually wears boots. So, yeah. Um, and like you said, I mean, he was kind of the ace student of the original DNA class. And, like, DNA basically disappeared. So, it's like he's got the... He's kind of got the 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 delineation, the marker of being, like, the, only, the, the most pure DDT-born person, like, of this era. Of the... Like, he was the ace of DNA. He was the focus of that whole brand and that whole thing. And, like, it died before there was anybody else who even, like, was the next guy. So, there's all of that. So, the table's set. And, Quentin, they go out here. And, I I mean, the last time I heard you mention it, I think you said that they delivered. <laughs> like, what did you think of the match? Uh, it's the match of the year. Uh, at, least for, at least for me. And it's like... Um... This has everything that I would ask for at a professional wrestling. There's 
a bunch of things that I like and I and I enjoy. You know, there's this you know this big disparity. I'm the same guy that likes Okada versus Osprey, and I'm the same guy that likes this. So clearly, I, like whatever professional professional wrestling is and how I enjoy it can can vary. But this is mean and direct and effective and doesn't need to be all these different things. It can go up there and in 21 minutes, it can tell the story of Akiyama got fucking wrecked by that, uh, by, by that, by, uh, by that brain claw. The last, by the, la- the last time they face each other. And they don't need to go up there and do all this extra stuff. Jun Akiyama doesn't need to be Zack Sabre Jr. or Jonathan Gresham or all these different guys and their intricate ways of doing limb work. Junakiyama just steps on his just steps on his hand and kicks his arm. And it's so brutal and mean through the entire time. And Kazusada Higuchi is one of the best big man sellers that we have in wrestling. Honest to God, I'm not sure there's a like a better big man seller than him other than like fucking Brock Lesnar. That like that like that's how highly I think of Higuchi selling. And the one of the main knocks of Higuchi uh, has always has always been that he sells too much. That he is this big imposing force that stands out in DDT with like these smaller guys, but he sells too much. I think this played perfectly into Higuchi's strengths here because you could argue that his biggest strength is his selling, and maybe he doesn't need to bust that out super often. He doesn't need to bust out how good of his how good his selling is for fucking so much a cow. But here facing Junakiyama and really conveying how ruthless Akiyama's game plan here is, and how much it feels like Higuchi's in constant agony trying to fight through this. And he earns all his comebacks. He earns everything. As, as he tries to mount, mount offense the first time, his hand is completely nullified and ineffective. And gradually he gets to a point where he is able to, to get, get through the pain and pull some moves off and chop at his, at a closer to a hundred percent capacity. But he earned that throughout the course of the match because he was fucked up. His arm was hurt. The knees to the throat that Akiyama does to Higuchi are just brutal and vicious and nasty and like made me fucking yelp. Like, oh shit, he need him in the throat. The kind of reaction that you would that you used to get from Shuji Shikawa matches. I got here from Jun Akiyama, which I think is a really big compliment to give a guy that's in this in it does in his 50s at the uh, that's in his 50s at this point and the brain claw when they actually when they actually get to it and higuchi has this one last attempt to put this guy down and the fact that the crowd can't help but like come unglued at that at that moment in time because it's so it's such a convincing powerful captivating move and moment in near fall and you totally believe that Higuchi was going to overcome that and win, and win the match and Akiyama puts him down. But it's violent, it's mean, it's effective. I love Higuchi selling. Some people make call it, call it inconsistent. I think that he earned it. I think that I think that that's forgivable when someone earns their way back into a match. Um, but yeah, I I adore everything about about the way about the way this was worked. Um, Anyone that complains about the selling and acted like he just was no selling or doing whatever, I think is strange to be totally honest with you. And I think that they're, that's really weird because the guy waited 
until much later down the line in the match to even do that. And he was selling the entire time. So it feels weird to just negate all the selling he was doing before then. And then even up to that point, all the selling he was doing after the fact that he, that he was doing, you know, biting, biting his hand because he didn't, he didn't want to, um, you know, do the regular form for, for the chokehold and apply and apply, uh, you know, pressure pushing down on his, on his, on his, on his hand and wrist. But people are going to say that he didn't sell enough for them. And, and I, and I think, I think that's strange, but I loved, I loved everything about this match. I've gone back and forth on this match a bit. Um, so much so that I've actually watched this match at least three different times, multiple times at this point to really like formulate how I was feeling about everything. Um, initially watching i just completely adored it i was with you like maybe not completely match of the year but definitely in that conversation um completely see the selling inconsistency stuff as being like kind of a bullshit take um then i watched it a second time and kind of had a revelation that like yeah that fucking work from akiyama is so brutal that it's almost ridiculous that higuchi is able to go back to using his arm and like he shouldn't have been able to do anything and I almost was like I, I guess I get what people are saying and then on the third watch it really kind of struck me to where I completely get it um, I had already had the thought of like clearly the work from Akiyama is not uh, it's not victory work he's not working over the arm and, and, and trying to get a submission win so it makes sense um, it's really like it's defensive work and Akiyama is trying to negate um, the same thing happening to him again that happened in the Grand Prix um, and the real detail that made it so that the third time I kind of went back to like oh yeah duh like I totally get it is that the focus was 100% and you mentioned Simon handwork the focus was handwork and you're and as much yeah. as people want to like act like you know the leg bones connected to the hip bone or whatever um, as Booker T would say if you work over someone's hand, that doesn't mean that they can't fucking body slam you or power bomb you because that is your hand, not your arm. And if he was working over the arm, and, and, and if you see, and it, it, if you see someone do a body slam, like they like kind of like hook the person with their like yeah. inner arm, like you know, like right, like right, 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 right before, right before their bicep kind of starts, and that might you know, but you might get some grip or whatever. But do you necessarily need your arm to do it to do it to do a do scoop you need slam? Your hand? No, not at yeah. all. Or power slam. You don't need your hand all. to do that stuff. You're not oh. doing the locking. But like you said with the rear with the rear naked choke, he he was having issues with the hand because you need the hand grip to make it work. And it was so funny because the biting the hand thing, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was fucking Aubrey Sitterson saying that Shibata was a cartoon character for doing the same spot in the G1 in his match against AJ Styles. I don't know if you remember that one. Um but that's yeah. a you know that is some real big brain thinking there from a fucking wrestling genius mastermind, um, who really obviously loved wrestling so much that how when was the last time you heard about Aubrey Sitterson doing uh, wrestling podcasts? Interesting how how invested he was I... in, in you know, he's a big part of the wrestling community and and wrestling uh, podcasting and then somehow he's just fucking disappeared. Whatever doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I would say like I would say I never paid attention I never paid attention to him in the first place. But it's like even just in the way of like hey like look at look at this this idiot said something dumb. It's like yeah, I don't even exactly. see that. I don't I I'm sure that he still does podcasts, but he's so 
unimportant that I, yeah, I don't, I don't even see people retweeting the guy's dumbass takes anymore um, because he's just completely off the radar. But yeah, he called Shibata a cartoon character because he did the same spot. And it like, yeah, seeing Higuchi do it here, it's, it's a fucking good spot. It works. It's wrestling. Fuck off. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's handwork and it is, it is focused handwork for one particular reason. It is servicing an end and it was done effectively because the point of the handwork was not to disable Higuchi's arms. It was not to disable Higuchi's power attacks. It was to mitigate. It, it, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, I wasn't, I'm going to put, I wasn't, I'm going to put a Fujiwara no. arm bar on you later. It's, is this thing took like completely caught me by surprise and annihilated me the last mm-hmm. time he wrestled. I want to make sure that he doesn't do do yeah. that again. It was, I'm disarming his killer move, his killer hold in his brain claw by destroying his hand. And that's it. That was the point of the match. The point of the match, the point of the hand work, the focus specifically on the hand was I am going to disable his killer hold, which is a brain claw that fucking murdered me because this guy's got this vice-like grip. And that's what he did. And that's what it accomplished. Again, you can fucking pick somebody up. You can throw people around. You need, you get your power from your arms, from your shoulders, from your body, from the hips. You know, suplexes, power bombs, all that stuff. You're using a lot more of your body than your fucking hand. Your hand is really out of, really out of it. You don't even need it. You see people like Kenny Omega doing one-armed power bombs. You don't need both of your hands to do power bombs. Like if you can use both arms, but just not your hands, you're gonna be fine. So the idea that there was any issue and inconsistency with selling. Because Higuchi comes back afterwards and does any any power moves at all is just completely missing the fucking forest for the trees. It's like being a selling fetishist. It's looking for like particular like details so that you can point them out and show that like you know more about everything because I saw this one little detail and oh my god. And you're just completely wrong and you're missing the fucking point. You're just like completely. But the, but the, but but then like this but then like the people doing this aren't selling fetishists. And like specifically, like I don't like mentioning so much on here, but like, 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 uh, like Lanza going on there and being like, uh, just no selling. He just no sold this. Uh, one, it feels like he's doing it because he doesn't like DDT, so he's giving DDT a shorter leash than he would give a promotion he was a bigger fan of. And two, it's like, dude, like you're the same one that like that would like go out there and like defending Kota, like Kota Ibushi right. selling. It's like, wow, like, are we, like, are, like, wow, are we, are we well, serious? Well, here comes here? the political nature of that situation. Like, I was, I, I, it crossed my mind, and I was going to just not even, like, necessarily get into it, but New Japan is on the backslide. DDT is gaining ground. People are paying attention to it, and it's pretty easy when, when you've been so invested in something, and Lanza's been relatively honest, and I'll give him credit for not being a fucking you know, New Japan stan, but I can definitely see being like, well, everyone's talking shit about this promotion that I've been so invested in for so long, but they don't give that same kind of like, you know, microscope to these guys and everyone just loves DDT and they don't pick. So he's looking for something. He's looking for a reason to pick it apart because saying selling fetishist was it was an intentional use of that term because Lanza popularized using that term. Lanza was the guy who yeah. referred to people as selling fetishists as a dismissive term to show that these people are focusing on something 
outside, you know, even making it into it like a psychosexual thing where somehow you're like watching wrestling for BDSM rather than for the wrestling. And so that diminishes your opinion, right? That was the intentional nature of using that term. And he did it constantly. And here he is doing it now for this, where he's fetishizing that Higuchi didn't sell enough because you know the hand and again he completely misses the point because there was a deeper story being told here and this is why me you and a lot of other people in the slack chat and a lot of other people in general have been super into ddt and not super into new japan is ddt is telling fucking stories match to match ddt is actually giving us something to invest in and that's why the first match plays into this match plays into the story that's being told here where june has one thing that that he is shook he does not want to engage in this fucking brain claw again because that shit was ridiculous. It almost makes sense because June's got his big weird bald head and that thing just looks ripe for a squeezing. So it makes sense that he really did not like getting his head <laughs> squeezed, right? So it's just like perfect. It, in some ways, even just the the phys- yeah, yeah. yeah, like 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 think think fingers directly on the scalp. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that that just did not feel good. So he does not want that happening again. And he intentionally did an attack that negated that could he have focused in a different way and actually worked over the entire arm and got the same outcome sure but he didn't want to risk it so he focused exclusively on the arm on the hand to make sure that he was not going to get brain clawed and it worked and the story was great and like i said the story builds it builds off of a really awesome tournament where the entire grand prix was really fun and this harkens back to that and it is why i'm more invested in ddt it's why I'm actually really enjoying DDT, and it's why for a second year in a row, there's a good chance that DDT could be promotion of the year again, because they actually are telling stories. They actually have a lot of guys who are young and building and are interesting. They're actually like giving me narratives that I can sink my teeth into. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, but DDT is just better. So, you know, it's a bummer that New Japan is falling apart, and maybe you don't realize why you feel like people are unjust to one thing and a little bit nicer to the other because you're just kind of, you know, picking up and picking and choosing what you pay attention to. But if you're paying attention to DDT right now, it is thoroughly, like, delivering from top to bottom in a way that, like, makes it worthwhile. And this judgment, this judgment show was, like, a really good example of that because like i said judgments in the past have been super bloated i've skipped a ton of it i haven't been invested in everything but watching this from top to bottom it breezed by super easy to watch didn't have a bunch of bloat and it was just like by the end of it i was happy that i watched the whole show yeah like ddt has always been like again like pretty pretty consistently you know since like people have been able to view ddt's view ddt shows more regularly they have been a super consistent company top to bottom for a long for a long time now and yeah, I, 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 it kind of sucks and does rub me the wrong way. That like, damn, like you're kind of going out of your way to like find something to say about DDT. When if this if this was if this was Osprey, you wouldn't you would have you wouldn't have said that shit at all. And you know and you, and you know you wouldn't have. But it's like yeah, you know people are gonna people are gonna do what they're gonna do. <laughs> that is it. That is what it comes down to, and it's fine. Like I I can't blame anybody. But Quentin, this was not the main event, even though we spent main event time talking about it, <laughs> even though it was only three matches. I guess we talked about a ton of stuff, but the main event of the evening and the thing that we were going to focus on should be pretty quick to get through. There's just a lot of good stuff to yeah, like here. Yeah, 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 short, yeah, short, short matches. Short matches, not a ton of background, but good stuff, really enjoyable. Sup, are these our lives? Um, open up. This is their first, I think, yeah, first show back since the pandemic mm-hmm. um open it up with the i'll say the aces of sup wrestling violence is forever going up against the bitcoin boys 
Um, this was kind of the what we've what has become the normal violence is forever match, unfortunately, which is not to say a bad thing, but it is um, it is I'll say subpar from the early violence is forever stuff where both guys came out there were big badasses just destroyed people and like went to town and i could see maybe like wanting to give them a little bit more especially these are you know dominic Garini's students and he wants to give them a chance and they were not bad i'm not gonna lie and say the bitcoin boys sucked but i felt like dumb yeah they're, they're pretty they're pretty yeah. good for bumping and selling and then their offense itself was good but their look their presentation and then seeing how much dom sold just i just wish dom would not sell so much especially because to me he's he's the heavy of the group like i would honestly be more okay with Koo selling more but it's become the normal thing where dom takes the heat and dom sells and Koo is the fucking psycho who comes in and just brutalizes yeah. people and doesn't sell a thing that's why it's interesting because like why while dom probably has more credibility in sup based off his bone storm title run how unbe- unbeatable he was Cool is way better as a hot tag than Dom is, yeah. for sure. Like, if we're, if we're, if we're to think of, think of someone who just come in and, like, wreck house, it absolutely should be Kevin Koo. His skill his skill set and his moves and everything about him just works way better for that role. Um, I kind of came away, came away with a different opinion than you. Like, to me, this is like... Like, this is like the violence is... This is like the, the violence is forever as, 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 the, as the Road Warriors chapter. And like yeah, it's like more selling involved than like the Road Warriors ever did yeah. at any at any at any point during you know, during their peaks. But in terms of just coming coming in and it being like complete chaos, body throwing, ass kicking, like that's the kind of vibes it gave me. And like to see them, and I know obviously like, these are skilled guys; they can work a more traditional structured tag match if they wanted to. They can absolutely do that. We've seen we've seen them do that, but they do thrive in being these big ass kickers that are mean and brutal and will just throw you around and kick you in the head and knee you in the face and do and do all these things and now being elder statesman on the indie scene really you know kevin Koo, who had been around who had been around for his for his time and dominic greeny who was a who was a newer guy back in 2016 and now these two feel like elder statesman on the independent scene as it is right now this kind of felt like uh, at least set a setting in for me, like the Valences River feels like the feel, kind of feels like the Road Warriors kind of vibe that I've been getting from now. Yeah, I've, I honestly have been comparing them to the Road Warriors from since they formed. <laughs> um, even back on like the This Week in Wrestling days, me and Pete would both like pretty pretty right. regularly refer to them that way. But I I definitely get what you're saying where it does feel like they're settling into the roles, and it's it's definitely a modern updated version of it. Like early on it seemed like they were just trying to do the pure like road warriors just brawl 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 no selling all action thing and that just as much as like people try to pretend like wrestling in 2020 or you know in 2018 is like nobody wants to see any selling and all they want is spots like no like the modern wrestling like the road warriors of nowadays sell you know what I mean? The Road Warriors of twenty twenty one. They they sell. exactly like 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 yeah like they got they get, they have to yeah, sell. Yeah, they can't just not sell. Like everyone has to sell. So the the people who like think that like oh none of these wrestlers sell anymore. It's like you are completely off base. Like you might think that like they should sell more, maybe sure. But it's like now everyone sells. There's like no one who doesn't sell at all. Like that is not a thing. 
Um, and in the past, there were people who would no sell. Um, but it is like interesting because relatively recently, like Kevin Koo has become a standout and is like really, he's always been very good. And I do, I do understand from being privy to some information that he, for a long time, intentionally held himself back. Theoretically, I guess I'll say he didn't, he didn't want to push himself or book himself or anything like that, like as a top guy. But like over the course of the Violence Is Forever stuff, and then also getting like big singles matches recently, like in in MLW and in, in Action and New South and stuff like that, like he has. Or not MLW, yeah MLW. Um, he has uh like had some really really great performances recently to where I'm just like, I don't I don't know if I'm like solidly a hundred percent like Dominic Greeny's the better of the team. They're like to the point now where like they're yeah. neck and neck, and I could I could flip flop on either one of them on who I think is the better guy. Like when it comes to tag team singles, they're I mean clearly they're the best tag team in the world. Um at least for the indies I, like the young bucks always exist and like realistically like if that's what you like you can always go to them but like uh, solidly like i think the violence forever is just so fucking good and they're so good singularly and together and bitcoin boys we're, we're solid here like i will watch more of them i think i've seen them before but i would i would not mind seeing some more some more from them moving forward um but moving forward on this show um real, real, real quick have you watched any of like I'm just going through his cage match? Have you watched any of these Dominic Dominic Garini um in time in time bomb uh wrestling sh- no, wrestling no. shows? Uh, so he like he's had like he's had apparently he has like these he's having like these like it's like this fan in North in North Dakota apparently and he's having no ring no rules matches and he had one versus Manders back in January and then. On the twenty seventh, he just had one uh, versus a Orin 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 Vite. Yeah, on uh, on mm. on Time Bomb too. And these shows and these shows are apparently on YouTube too. Uh, let me check. Let me check to make sure the second one's on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm might I might wind up checking these out because I yeah. <laughs> if there's anyone I watch do like a like do like a no ring match like I'm okay I'll watch a Dominic Green do that. Yeah, I've seen some Dom in uh in Pit Fighter, and I actually saw him do a no ring match here in L.A. Um, for Suburban Fight. Uh, it was fine. Like no ring shows are kind of tough. Uh, live they're even worse than they are on tape. Honestly. Um. To- totally. But, uh, <laughs> but like a lot of times I don't even pay attention to it. But I'll check that out because this sounds like Deathmatch Dom, especially against going against Orin Vite. I could definitely see that being, you know, big gimmick match Dominic. And like that is a that is definitely where he shines when it comes to singles stuff. He's very good at doing like anything goes fights. Um but yes, next match on this show, uh Adam Priest versus uh D- Damien Damien uh Tangray. Um I thought that this was really great as well. <laughs> like, uh, Tangray is quickly becoming a, a guy to watch for me. Um, and you mentioned him, or we talked about him on an action show, having a match with Dominic, right? Um, a while back. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he is definitely like getting the confidence and, and f- filling out his frame a little bit. Priest is an, a guy who I think is, um, going to be unfortunately like criminally underlooked for how good he is. He, in some ways he kind of reminds no, me. That, that, oh, that, good. That was, that was actually my that was actually my takeaway. Like, uh, Tangre or Tangre, I just, I just don't know how, how to yeah. to go go with, go with his name. Uh, but I thought Priest was the one that stood out that stood out more to me here for sure. 
yeah, Priest, the comparison that I would come to, like, obviously the easy comparison is, like, the Dynamite Kid mold, right? He kind of comes across like one of those guys. But I think Jamie Noble. Like, he comes across to me like a Jamie Noble guy. A guy who's, he's really solid, super good at everything, um, delivers everything, sells super well, hits everything with, like, a crispness that you don't see from everyone, but then also has, like, the understated personality understated charisma that it's really easy to overlook and i think that people don't notice but hopefully hopefully we're now in a better place in 2021 where more people will actually see it and he won't just continue to be overlooked because yeah like he is so fucking good at just like the basic stuff and executing it super crisply and and also like again selling charisma personality it's all there it's just subtle and it's easy to overlook and i just hope that he's not a guy who who just continues to get overlooked um but yeah that was kind of my takeaway on this one did you have any other thoughts uh love love the selling in it i loved how he came in with the tape with the taped uh midsection already and how gradually those things start to start to affect him even before Congress started to work his body over how he was selling it selling it even throughout the course of the match so yeah, the fact that he went out there and just kind of like did like did that on his own, I thought I thought was uh I thought was really I thought was really interesting from him and made him a guy that I want to go back and make sure I make sure I watch his stuff from uh I think I think he's been on some action shows. Make sure I go back and like give give him give him a give him a proper yeah. Look. He's definitely had a lot of really solid showings in action and uh, and is a guy who like I said definitely one to check out. I think easy to overlook, um, but definitely well worth your worth your time. Next up, what I would call the match of the show for me personally. Um, for sure, yes. These guys came out here and fucking murdered it. But Quentin, I'll let you kind of expound on this. Alex Kane, Cole Radrick, they come out here and it's the same length. It's, it's short, but uh, they deliver something here. Quentin, what did you think of this? Uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we both love uh love ratty uh cole radrick we both like really love we both really enjoy him he's someone that uh like you know kind of got big or prominent earlier than a lot of people do and he's still like super young but also has improved at a rapid rate and the dude is awesome and honestly like looking at the scene the way it is right now there's no reason why cole radrick shouldn't be one of the biggest stars in the independent scene honestly there's absolutely no reason why he shouldn't be. Well, in this match, um, it's like an, a major example of exactly that. Like, he has come into mm-hmm. his own as a veteran in a way that's, like, really impressive so quickly. Yeah, and Alex Kane, man, if anyone had star aura just based off of one time seeing him, you would be sold on Alex Kane immediately. Unique, Unique look uh back right but like you know he can uh do the he can do he can do the mat work even po even post match when he does when he does his promo after beating if after beating radrick here and the intensity and and, and naturalness that he had that he had that he had here on the mic was just that like that's a star that's a star right there and from radrick's performance and his scrappiness and ingenuity and creativeness trying to find ways to overcome the bigger more powerful uh, guy here and Kane who comes across as a monster and, and show moments of vulnerability but even facing someone with a with a resume that uh 
definitely, you know, over like you know, overshadows his like Radrick at this point at, the, at this point in his career, still looked like he should be convincingly beating Cole Radrick. When he beats him, it's not like it doesn't feel like it just came from shock value. It feels like, oh man, who is this guy? Where'd they find him? And he is like a really big deal and people should be afraid of him. That that, that that's how it felt. So really good match just from a mechanical standpoint and the selling and create and creativity from both of these guys. And I like the mat work and how fast paced and hectic it is. But in terms of making an impression, not many wrestlers would make an impression that's going to stick with you the same way that Alex Kane's did. That's a if that was your first time seeing him, that's a hell of a first impression. Yeah. And uh, and I've I've compared Radrick's movements to uh to like world of sport like the way that he moves his body right um in the past but something that i know that you just recently did some like a little bit of a dive on and, and caught up on some of the recent releases i actually realized that he probably fits more like the french catch stuff because he does the high flying stuff but the way that he moves his body it's i, I hate to say stiff but he do, he doesn't have the same fluid nature as what has become like the modern high flying style like when you look at his his body and the way that he moves and contorts while he does the high flying it has a like a slight yeah like stiffness that like just feels like a throwback but it it it, everything comes across perfectly and it works and it looks great but it's just it's very different you don't see people who move that way like most people are more gymnastics and they're more fluid and the way that he moves um just has a little bit of an air where it looks more like a stiff tough man wrestler who's flying through the air and i kind of really enjoy that i really do enjoy that nature like that part of it where it doesn't look like someone doing gymnastics it looks like someone who is a fighter or wrestler who happens to fly around and that's why i said like oh yeah and like i didn't think about it and then you were watching all that french catch i'm like oh yeah it's kind of more like the french catch because they could they do a lot more high flying moving around stuff than the world of sport ever did um another part of it is that i thought and this was a, a major standout to me for why Cole Radrick, like I said, was able to like play this veteran role here much better than like you would expect from him early on. As you, as you said, like we start, I first started seeing Cole Radrick in IWA Mid South. We mentioned it earlier. Shout out to Ian, right? Um, when he was like a child, and you know, there's stories about him doing like backyard wrestling stuff even as a kid, um, and some footage and stuff out there. But so young and and just barely starting out. But as the years have gone. And you see this, and he's going up against Alex Kane, and you talked all about the look, the size, the power, the the mat game. But Alex Kane is the suplex assassin, right? And that's his thing. He throws people, and he does. He maybe has some amateur wrestling background, and he does big suplexes. And if you think about it, there's another guy who has a similar kind of vibe in uh, Jeff Cobb. Big guy, throws suplexes, does amateur wrestling, went to the Olympics, all that. When Jeff Cobb was in a shoot-style ambition setting um, against Timothy Thatcher, Thatcher was smart enough to realize, well, why would an Olympic-style amateur wrestler know anything about submission holds, submission evasion, and submission holds in general? Well, they wouldn't. But a lot of people who are not as well-versed in understanding kind of the grappling arts might think, you know, if if you're a... wrestler if you're an amateur style wrestler then all the mat work is your game but cole radrick was smart enough to pick up on the same detail that a timothy thatcher does which is this is an amateur style suplex wrestler this is not a grappling technician submission wrestler so cole radrick is going for the ankle lock repeatedly 
It's the bigger man who needs the base to suplex, obviously, so going after the leg, the ankle, will hurt his base and hurt his ability to suplex you, but also, he's not necessarily going to be as well-versed in the submission game, submission evasion, and just being better at submissions in general, counters everything. So Cole Radrick doggedly working as the veteran, who's outsized, outpowered, and realistically outmatched, constantly going for the suplex, or for the submission game, because he understands that his suplex assassin opponent maybe is not as well versed in suplex or submission evasion is like insanely smart veteran like psychology for a match this was yeah it was so fucking impressive to me the execution was phenomenal but the details of the storyline to that to me was like what really put it over the top the idea that this guy really thought about it and really put together a match that made logical sense because on paper, and if you didn't, if you really looked it over it and over, and you're just like, how could Cole Radrick ever have any chance against this guy? And he built in a story to make it at least make sense that he was able to get some big time hope spots. So super impressive match. Two relatively young guys, one of which is like definitely like a veteran and should be a top star in indie wrestling. Another one who is a young guy who's just barely starting out and realistically like delivering a top top level match and. I've seen a bunch of Alex Kane at this point, but yes, if this is your first time seeing him, this is a really good first impression because this is like the best Alex Kane match I've seen. Um, follow this up. Oh. It feels it feels weird. I'm no, a, go ahead. No, say, finish like, um, isn't it strange to think that like, if you had to talk about like the top ten best like unsigned talents in in the U.S. right now or in in North America, let's let's expand let's expand it too. Could you really name more than t- like more than ten people before you, before you got to Cole Radrick? Probably not. Like realistically, with how good he actually is, I would. I I definitely get where you're coming from. But yeah, like it, it's it's definitely the case, and I'm not like insanely surprised because I have been high on him for a bit. But like he is definitely in that conversation where yeah, like it would be very difficult to come up with nine people better than him. Yeah, and partially it is like you know the scene, the scene being barren and all that and all that kind of stuff. Like I get it, but if I really had to sit there and do it, once I get past like you know violence is forever, both of the both of those guys. But I don't know what their status is about MLW. Um, let's 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 for the, let's for the sake of it say that they're like unsigned. Right. Like if we just did violence is forever, AJ Gray, uh, Daniel Makabe, and Lee Moriarty, it's like. After that, like, who are we like really like definitively saying is better than Cole Radrick at right. that point? Yeah, I mean, there's there's like I don't know ACH depending on the day, depending on the day of the week, and if he's signed or not. Uh, Tom Lawler, depending on how you feel about like MLW contracts, similar with Finances Forever, like is that signed? But yeah, it's like at that point now you're like you're mincing hair, you're like splitting hairs, and you're like trying to like you know make like uh, kind of like arguments, but. He's in that conversation for sure at that point. And, like, that's pretty solid because that's, like, top five. Like, yeah, Cole Radrick is definitely, yeah. like, yeah, in that conversation for sure. Um, follow this up. Derek Neal versus Effie. Um, I don't know. This was not for me. I've heard people that were super into, like, Derek Neal here. Effie, I, Effie is, I think, solid. I think Effie, I used to say this about uh, MJF. Like, uh, I think that the guy gets more credit than he deserves for his charisma and less credit than he deserves for his wrestling. And I think Effie is solidly the same thing. I think Effie is a better wrestler I... than people realize. No, go ahead. 
I think Effie is I think Effie is best in like super expressive big brawls. Yes. Like whatever that like I think that that dog collar match, I think that was freelance, yes. right? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like whatever, like like stuff like that. But a random match where we're gonna like go out there and have like the best match possible, that's not really an Effie no. thing. No, but I do think that people people think that Effie is just a joke gimmick wrestler and that's it, and they write him off. Right. And I think that he's a better wrestler than people give him credit for. That's not to say that he's great, and I do think that he needs particular settings to deliver, like, something very good. But I also think that, like, he's not as over as a character and as charisma as charismatic as people think. Because I do think that you drop him off in something like this, and you think, well, his character will get him over and the crowd will be invested in him, and it, it, it doesn't. He's not just, like, completely, drip, like, carried by his charisma. And I think that people think, like, oh, he's just so charismatic, everyone just instantly loves him. And I'm like, no, I think that... He's got some charisma, but also at times he comes across a little bit bland. So, yeah, like, this match was fine. I think that Derek Neal, similar thing, but, like, I don't know. Maybe there's something there, but I just did not... I didn't see it, and I've I've heard people, like, say that they really liked his performance here, and I didn't see much. I don't know. What did you think of of Derek Neal coming out of this? Yeah, I I enjoyed him here. Um, Like I said, like, I feel like... Derek Neal probably better suited for a position like this than uh than Effie is, but yeah, like the main takeaway, like this this isn't this isn't like Effie's like like thing. This isn't this isn't how you like you know how you like make the best use of uh of, of Effie's skill sets, um especially especially in this where like you know you don't really have a crowd and I feel like Effie's biggest strong suit would would be having would be having a crowd there for sure. Um, so it was it was so it was fine like. I thought I thought it was a solid. I thought it was a solid match. I thought Derek Neal was the better uh, of the two, and what they were asked to do there. But uh, yeah, not not much on the right right home about. I will say this next match: Brett Eisen versus Bastard Cassidy. Man, this ruled a lot, and I'm not sure this isn't like the second best Brett Eisen match I've ever. Yeah, seen. I was gonna say this is a match that's interesting because you've got two guys who are on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to kind of coming out of uh, coming out of pandemic. Cassidy, unfortunately, looks like he has gained a bit of weight and has lost a step. And Eisen looks like he is hasn't missed a step. Um, this felt like like peak, if not even a little bit past the peak, Brett Eisen in sub performance. Um, and yeah, like I said, but Cassidy's still, I mean, comparatively, Cassidy is still pretty good, even being a guy who's looks like he's a little bit out of shape for himself and looks like he's got a little bit of ring rust. Um, he definitely did not look like a, a complete slouch here. It's just, I was like kind of getting into Cassidy before the pandemic hit. And then kind of in here, it just, he looks like, like I said, just a little, just a little off comparatively, but Quentin, it sounds like you enjoyed it. So let me, let me hear your, uh, your take on the match overall. Oh yeah. For like, I've always had a disc- always had a dis- disconnect with Ison versus like you know what he get what he uh goes up there and presents himself as and then like the actual reality of how he comes across in his matches a lot of time for me I feel like that doesn't always connect um this is one of the this is like the only time other than the uh the Brett Ison versus Alley Cat match which both agree like you know just like phenomenal from all parties involved there but in terms of this Brett Brett Ison huge huge mean ass kicker it didn't really click for me for the most part but right here facing someone who kind of has the same 
thing going on and Brett Eisen being the more uh more seasoned version of that I thought was an interesting story because Bastard Cassidy's whole thing is that being big and tough and hitting the shit out of people so sit there and have Brett Eisen ha- uh, go out there and beat the shit out of him and Bastard Cassidy try his best and throw forearms with him and try everything he can to keep up but Brett Eisen is just he's 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 better at it. he's better at it I thought was the most engaged I've been with this idea of Brett Eisen. Um, really, I guess it's, I guess since, I guess since that match and I know that he's done other things and that he's gotten prominent, prominent shots and he's, you know, showed, showed up in action and done stuff and done stuff in new South and things like that. But if I'm looking at it from the, from the idea of like Brett Eisen is presenting to me, this idea that he's this no nonsense, hard hitting motherfucker I've never really bought it, but this match was one of the few times in which that's ever really accomplished that for me. So it's not a great match, I would say, but it did impress me in a way that most Brett Eisen stuff doesn't usually impress me. And I like Bastard Cassidy, and I think that he can be really good eventually, but the most impressive part of this to me was Brett Eisen. And that could be part of him, like who he's standing, standing across from and them being kind of similar and being in similar veins. But this is the most I've bought into Brett Eisen in the character that he's presenting to me in a while. Yeah, that's that every I agree with pretty much everything you're saying there. And I think that in some ways you actually sold me a little bit more on how it honestly makes sense that, that Bastard Cassidy seemed like a step slower than normal and Eisen seemed like he was amped up. It it plays into the the kind of like Superman with the yellow sun nature of Brett Eisen when it comes to being in SUP. Like when it's SUP day and this is the first show back, so this is the first time in over a year that Brett Eisen has gotten to wrestle in SUP, and that means that, like, he's got his superpowers, and, you know, Cassidy is just the underneath guy who can't keep up with that. It kind of, in a weird way, makes sense. But it also, the other part of it is the the real-world version, or the real-world, like, situation, as you mentioned there, is, like, who he's going up against. And the thing that crossed my mind is, is because um, Evan, the soccer Evan, mentioned, like, uh, uh, Cass- or Eisen doing the face wash, and I think that for a lot of people, that what crosses their mind with the face wash is Samoa Joe. But I know that Ison's thing is is he does the face wash, and and a lot of his stuff is like kind of mirroring after B Boy. Brett Ison is a big B Boy fan, um, and I remember Brett Ison's matches with B Boy, particularly the fan match or uh, the fan cam match from the first time they wrestled each other, and how Brett Ison just came across like he was taking it easy. And he was being soft on the guy. And I think that here, especially against Bastard Cassidy, a guy who's about the same size as him, who maybe is a young boy who he thinks deserves to take some lumps, he was not taking it soft. He was out there and he was laying it in and he was hitting the big lumber on this kid. And that's, I think, a big part of what made it that much better than Brett Eisen matches in other situations. So, yeah, I think that Brett Eisen is a guy who maybe needs to wrestle people who are about his size or bigger so that he feels comfortable kind of laying it in because when he's wrestling smaller people or people that he respects, he doesn't necessarily go as hard. And that's why, like, probably even the Brett Eisen versus O'Shea stuff was was better because they were equally sized and matched and he seemed to be a little bit a little bit stiffer against O'Shea. And I think that... Brett Eisen just needs to maybe be a little bit more comfortable with the people that he's wrestling or else he uh, he takes it a little bit soft and it doesn't come across as well um, and as believable as an ass kicker. Um, follow this up. Jaden Newman, Arthur McArthur. Um, 
I don't know. Jaden Newman is a guy who I I have fluctuated so much on at this point, going from thinking that there's something there to just being completely turned off by him. That yeah, he he's a he's he's a weird one. Like I go from like really liking him to like then like his strikes like really fucking piss me off. Yeah. <laughs> like and then going back to oh okay, he feels like he's getting his footing back, and then it's like uh, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. Like he needs to pick something and 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 stick with it and go with it. And it's just, I don't know. There's something there. He's got some talent. He's got some charisma. But he 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 does he does. I would say like there's something to figuring out what you're good at and sticking yes. with that. Like the reference that I'm always gonna always use for an example of this is I go back and I'll watch Timothy Thatcher stuff from 2012. And the guy tries to throw tries to throw a clothesline, yeah. and it's fucking terrible. It's awful. His body just wasn't great at throwing a clothesline. But you know what he's good at? European uppercuts, forearms, knees, things yeah. like that. And you figure out what and you figure out what and you figure out what you're good at. You stick to your strengths. That's what makes you. That's what makes you stand out. Even like if you want to use like something like AJ Gray, like AJ Gray for as talented and athletic he he is. He toned his style down from what it used to be because you can attest, AJ Gray from like five years ago is out here is out here doing Phoenix splashes yeah. and shit, like, you know, to do like. But that's what what got AJ over is doing what he's best at. What he's best at is lariats and brain busters and utilizing that big that that big strong frame and making them and making the most of that. As a wrestler, you should you should have the awareness at some point to do what you're best at. And if I'm Jaden Newman, I think that you should like go like you know have a look have a look in the mirror, talk to people that you trust, and talk about what am I best at, and focus on that because I do think there's a good wrestler in there. I don't think he's like this useless this useless dude. He has personality. I, I, I've even liked his I liked his heel I liked some of the heel work he's done, and even as a babyface when he's working um. You know, SCI, SCI and stuff. I feel like he he's been a serviceable babyface at points. He's a talented dude. I just think that he needs he needs to like figure something out and stick with that and maximize that instead of feeling like he's still kind of like all over the place. The weird thing about him is that I think that a really solid comparison as someone who's like, and this is weird because this guy is just so good all around that it's like I guess anybody could compare themselves to this person in a positive light but like trevor lee but he has to understand that he's not the same athlete like but look at the trevor lee selling and the underdog stuff and that's the stuff that i think that Jaden could learn from and is good at and some of the grappling mat stuff but trying to do or, oh god yeah trying to do the like or, or even oh, like or, or, or i was gonna say even like trevor lee's like character yeah. stuff like trevor lee is like when he, when he when he doesn't get to be that guy that's like this all world wrestler, he could fall he could fall back on the personality and stuff like yeah. that, like that would like that wouldn't be like a bad frame of reference for J, for Jaden Newman to use at all. Yeah, but it's just like understand that you're not the same athlete, so you can't do the same like the big flying spots and the same big striking spots. You just don't have that that part of the game yet. But the rest of it. It's pretty much it's pretty close to there. I mean, another guy who comes close, and I don't know if you're supposed to talk about him, but it's like David Starr, like the underdog babyface David Starr selling and grappling stuff. I think Jaden can do that, you know, and like that's kind of 
the thing. He doesn't have the same character, but he has some of the same in-ring stuff. So it is like, yeah, it's like there is something there. And I think that we both agree that he's not a bad wrestler, but I think he's trying to be everything and he's not everything. You know, he's he needs to figure out what he is and be that. And and I don't think he's a good heel. I really don't. And I'm I'm honestly kind of bummed because, you know, Dan Makabe has a limited amount of matches over WrestleMania weekend. And I wouldn't even say that, like, I don't want to see a Dan Makabe versus Jaden Newman match. But I really don't want to see a, a babyface Dan Makabe versus a heel Jaden Newman match. Like, that just does not entice right. me. And this is two guys who I like. You know, this is two guys who I think are not bad. This is a guy who I think is one of the best wrestlers in the world when he's on. And that matchup, to me, on paper, just because of the heel-face dynamic, I'm like, that just doesn't that just doesn't really entice me. And it should, but on paper, knowing that Jaden's going to be the heel and Dan is going to be the babyface, and I'm just like, it'll be good. I know that Dan will put a bunch of effort into it, and he'll make the match, you know, he'll think about it, and he'll put together something that makes sense, and it'll be fun to watch, but I just think about what it could be. And it would be such a better match if they were the heel and babyface was fl- was flipped, you know. Right. Follow that up, and this is the, I guess we need to come up with some kind of award. There needs to be like an A for effort award. The person who, who tried the hardest, <laughs> with the worst opponent, um, for, Cabana Van Dan against Alley Cat. Um, Sweet fucking beard, man. Sweet yeah, beard. <laughs> I love Dan. Dan quarantine. Dan turning into a caveman has been great. Um, but uh, yeah, this was an unfortunate situation for for Cabana Man Dan here because as I talked about, Ison and the magic, the sup magic was back for Alley Cat. The sup magic is gone. There is nothing there. And there was a point where I was like, Alley Cat in sup is like. Top baby face. The crowd loves her. Alley Cat and Sup was like fucking like incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like she had like a streak where like 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 three or four matches in a row were like, oh my god, like is this gonna be like am I gonna like put this on like my like match of the year like sheet? Yeah. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and she comes out here and she's not going against the slouch. Commander Man Dan, like I said, he's been throughout quarantine because I've been watching the new South stuff for him, and he's been really good. He's been good in action, he's continued to be very good. He's another very easy to underrate guy um and he came out here and he busted his ass but he just could not he could not get much out of this like ah this was rough this was rough to watch for me crowd crowd look crowd crowd man like yeah it would have helped it it, it gets people like you know might get tired of hearing like get tired of hearing that but it's like look at what ellie cat's best stuff has been it's been crowd and crowd investment reliant whether it's been in sup or even something like her gcw match versus nick gage like it's a lot of she connects she has a crowd connection and then seeing her struggle and work her and work her way back up the crowd the crowd the crowd gets into it and trying that here where with the crowd of only the wrestlers and the commentator and, and the promoter you know it's only so only so much only so much you can that you can do there um and you no, know, someone like Ali, let you know for the strides that she has made, the limitations that she does have still. So, you know, like I said, a for effort for Cabana Man Dan here, and in a different, in a di- in a different circumstance, this could have been a this could have been a great match. But yeah, it just it just didn't come together right here. I thought. 
Yeah, man. Mm, not yeah. Uh, same same thing same thing here. Nothing nothing to really say. Again, like I like the idea of a cha- of a Chase Holiday and 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 hood and Hoodfoot tag team. Like I think that when like when you see them together, like it looks cool. But then in terms of like gonna go like you know watching that watching that be done and executed it did it, it still it still left a lot to be desired here and then uh edwards's partner didn't didn't do much in the way of uh, leaving an impression on me either here yeah sorry on mute there again um yeah like uh the hoodfoot and 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 uh i was gonna say hoodfoot and atlas but the hoodfoot and holiday team they had some spots and some moves that that executed as well, but but yeah, like on paper, and then the few couple flashes were like, okay, I can get into these guys. Um, but in the at the end of the day, this match didn't uh, didn't really deliver. Um, none of the teams delivered, and like I said, we're like we're slumping into the main event, and and the main event did not. Uh, yeah, you yeah yeah I, I, yeah I think yeah I think you really didn't you really didn't like this. I. I just didn't. I don't know, fucking know. It just there was. You didn't get. You just just just. It didn't, didn't feel get like it. it ever got out of the blocks for me. I I don't want to see these guys. I don't want to see these guys just in a three way. Like, I feel like any two. Yeah, of them it's, all, it's also kind of like. It's all, uh, yeah, yeah, it's also kind of kind of like yeah. why, because, it, like, like, it, like if if we've moved on right, and AC Mac being like the big champ in like both promotions or whatever has kind of moved on like i think that you could have just ran back mac versus gray here it would it would have would have been perfectly fine and then just you know mac comes out you know trying you know thinking that gray just caught gray just caught him caught him off guard after a match or whatever and now they now they have now they have now they go one on one for real and gray still beats him because like we, we've moved on from the ac mac era he's not action champ anymore he's not sub champ anymore like the inserting of manders i just didn't i just didn't really understand here yeah it didn't and i even would have been fine with like a manders aj gray match but also manders like yeah i said it in the slack chat but manders has aj gray and manders have yet to deliver like a great match with each other and obviously, this is not a one-on-one. It's a, it's a three-way, so that it's you know whatever. It, like, you can argue that this shouldn't go against their record, but they are a little bit too samey. And I think that people forget that like styles make fights. I've said this a bunch. I'm going to continue to reiterate this point. Rest wrestling matches, matchups in general are much better when it's not just the same kind of guys going up against each other. Like I, I shouldn't say guys when it's not the same type of wrestlers wrestling each other. And having like different styles make it interesting, and yeah, so I just I don't think that AC AJ Gray and Manders are going to ever have a great match with each other because they're just too similar. And then Mac, I think I think that the way that the way that you do that is like 
having to have like more like clear dynamics on characters. Right. Like if we maybe settled into a going back and like you know like the heel manders that we had that we had initially versus babyface AJ Gray maybe but in like this current incarnation of where they both are yeah it doesn't it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. I think that if we yeah cuz they both kind of feel like roughhouse babyfaces they both like wrestle the same style but if one was clearly a heel and one was a babyface this is like you know what this weirdly kind of is it was like a Stone Cold Steve Austin against the Brothers of Destruction in a three-way match where it was like they weren't a team but they were a team. It was like this weird thing but it was like, you know, Mac was a heel <laughs> so it's like the inverse where you have the one heel against the two baby faces who are like the big bruisers who you kind of want to see them fight each other but he's just there picking his spots. Um, it was like weirdly like aligned similarly. Um, that said, yeah, like I feel like AJ tried because AJ was doing some arm selling. AJ was like doing some storytelling. And I think that AJ Gray, this like, I think that he actually wants to have a good bone storm championship run because like AJ was a sub original. AJ was on the build to probably winning the bone storm championship. And then there was some issues, right? We'll say there were some problems there. And then he was gone for a while. Um, and I do kind of feel like there is probably like a part of AJ Gray who like wants to prove himself with this championship. And it seemed like he was putting in some effort here, but yeah, it just, it was discombobulated. It was, it just, there was never any time that felt like there was any focus and you never really got a chance to actually see like a story come to fruition throughout the match. Yeah, like it's. It, it, I, I would say this is like like one of the like rare misses here in terms of like main, like main event booking. Like we saw, like we saw how good the Manders rise up until him challenging eighteen Mac for the title was. We saw we saw even if the, even if the match wasn't great, we saw how good like the booking was that led that led to that. That was that was good. And I feel like this is one of the uh, there's a rare miss. I think it's first first show first show back and everything and still trying still kind of trying to still kind of trying to figure thing figure things out after how after how weird uh things have been, but yeah that, like a, a rare a rare miss for a, a promotion that's still like my, my one of my favorite one of my favorites yeah. to watch one of them always one of them all like again I, one of the only ones that I watched the whole show for yeah definitely uh, you know I don't say that I don't I don't say that for any for honestly anyone else really is you know. Uh, Dylan might find us funny. Like I'll, I'll do, I do this for Sup and Dragon Gate. Like, <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> I mean, like, like, that, like you know, what I mean? like I don't do this for anybody else, really. So, you know, it's it's, it's just a, a, a rare miss. But you look ahead, and we look at the action and Sup uh, collaboration car for a uh, half, you know, have fun, be sad. Uh, we look at the, at the car and uh, Derek Neal versus Logan Creed versus Manders versus Alex Kane. Uh, that like that sounds awesome and really fun as hell. A big, yeah, big big four guys, three uh four big guys going out there and and killing it. Matt Mikowski versus Adam Adam Priest sounds really Ooh, good. Yeah. Uh, Myron Reed versus AC Mack, John Davis versus O'Shea Edwards, uh, Brett Eisen and Cabana Man Dam versus Kevin Ryan and Shug D, Eric Royal Eric Royal versus Daniel Makabe. Angelus Lane versus Nolan Edward, which I feel like could be really good, and it probably might be want to be like might want to be one of the sleeper matches on the show. I feel like that could be yeah. really good. Uh, AJ Gray versus JD Drake, Ooh. and then uh, Violence is Forever versus Finn Juice. Like 
you know, even with that being said, we're coming right back. We're coming right back uh, next week with this show, and like they could come back and just knock this show out of the park because this is a great card and one of the only cards that I'm gonna watch at all. Uh, you know, any any of during yeah. this weekend. Yeah, no, and that's a that's a huge that's a huge card. Everything you said there, everything you said there had uh, had something um, that was worthwhile to check out. Actually. Was there a Makabe match on there? I feel like he should have a match on there. Yeah, ro- yeah, yeah. Ro- Royal versus Makabe. Royal. Oh yes, yes. That's the the three years in the making match. Um, that's a that's definitely worthwhile. But that whole card has a lot of great stuff, and I think that Finn Juice, Finn Juice versus Vance is forever. I think probably on paper, if you just heard that, it's pretty easy to be like, what the fuck, but. Finn Juice is a pretty good tag team, and Juice is like a big dude. He's like Billy Gunn big, right? He's the like easy to forget how big he yeah, is. Yeah, you like yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, like Billy Billy Gunn is so big. Is like everyone else. Everyone else is huge and next football players and shit. So Billy Gunn is just like oh, he's Billy Gunn. And then you look at him when he's not in WWE. It's like holy yeah. shit. Why is he losing to anybody in TNA? Yeah, and yeah, Juice is like is like similar size and and. And David Finley has gotten really good. I don't like the name of his finishing move. Obviously, I already called it out. But but he has gotten really good, and he's got a super super good vibe, and they're a good tag team together. So they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're both and they're both and they're both individually great wrestlers, and they're and they're a good team. They they just don't get to show it off because New Japan's tag division is non-existent. Yeah, so but like they, like these these are they're these are really good wrestlers here. Like the Kevin Koo and Juice interactions are going to be oh, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah because yeah, because Juice. Like I said, Juice is big. Juice is big and can and can go. So it's like him getting in there with two like indie brawlers. Like that that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Because I think yeah, like comparatively, there's a lot of stuff on that card that sounds great. Um, Priest, what was it? Priest versus um, I can't think. Mikowski. That is the underrated versus underrated match of all time. I think Mikowski is getting a little bit of buzz from the. Uh, from the recent Beyond uh, Greatest Rivals Round Robin tournament they're doing, but he's a guy that people underappreciate how good he is in Priest similarly. So that's a that's a big time show out match with two guys who who uh, have something to prove and get overlooked. So damn, that's a solid ass card. I'm definitely with you. See, and this is what we're talking yeah. about. It's like super easy. You can put together good cards with the wrestlers that are going to be at WrestleMania weekend, you just have to actually put the cards together. And instead GCW just like throws, it feels like they just throw darts at the wall and then, you know, but, that, but that's what they've always I know, done. I know, like, but they, there's no like, talent. Like, but that's the thing is like, uh, yeah, but that's the thing is like, it worked before when like, Oh shit. Like we can fucking bring over David Starr and Walter and Mike Quackenbush and Jonathan Gresham and Masashi Takeda and, you know, get get Minoru Suzuki and Josh Barnett and all these different guys. Like it works then. Like you gotta be able to like you gotta be able to take the L sometimes. Yeah. You gotta be able to just assess a situation and just take the L. Like why not just run one big show? Why do you have to sit there and spread it across 10, 11 different shows? You could have just ran one big show where you ma- where you maximized the talent and you know really hyped it up. But no, you wanted to do the thing that you've been doing and to, and had no self-awareness <laughs> to think, hmm, this might not work this time. Maybe next year. Maybe 2022. You know, even then, you might be pushing it because, the, again, the scene is not great right now. 
but you should have been able to assess the situation and realize, hey, this probably isn't the best idea. Completely. Um, but, Quentin, I think that's about it. Um, unless you want to get into some ROH 19th anniversary talk. I think I'm pretty... I haven't watched any of that. Yeah, I can't blame you. Um, I, okay, so the one thing that I saw on that show that was fucking crazy, I just have to call it out. Um, Bandito and Flamita did like you know the tower of doom like super uh superplex where the guy is in the corner and the and the other guy is on like someone's shoulders and they do the superplex out of the corner yeah they did that but in the middle of the ring it was How? it was fucking crazy so i think bandito was on did they like did they, did they like did did he like walk did he like walk it to the middle of the ring no somehow? like they were just standing in the ring the guy um i think it was ray horace wasn't on the turnbuckles he was just standing and bandito was on flamita's shoulders and bandito grabbed uh ray horace for uh like a front chancery like a uh, vertical suplex and he picked him up off the mat while on flamita's shoulders and superplexed him it was fucking crazy <laughs> It was one of the weirdest things I've ever what? seen. Yeah, it was like it was so nuts. I was just like, "How?" Okay, so 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 Flamita, so Flamita had him in a power bomb. No, no, he I was guess? like a electric chair. Like he was sitting on his shoulders, like an electric. Oh, chair. okay, okay, yeah, okay, 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 yeah. okay. Okay, that that makes that make that, that makes, makes more sense. So electric chair, yeah. and then he, and he grabbed. Gra- him, and but then like off that. the mat, he picked him up. It was fucking weird to see. I was just like, "Are you?" While in the, while while yeah while while in the air like that too because like that's yeah. a fucking tough position to sit there and do that from so that took like ridiculous yeah strength. so Bandito is a fucking beast obviously and you know Ray Horace has to get up super high he has to jump super high to make that work like it was a nuts spot I was just like I saw it and I was like maybe they've done this before or something but like it's it was crazy I'm just like you have to be freak athletes to pull something like this off because it was like. It was insane. It was really insane. I watched it. It was like, because I saw, I was live and I saw Alex Zane do a running uh, 6.30. And I've talked to you about it before. Like, I watched it live and I was like, that didn't happen. That wasn't a real thing that I just saw. But it did. And this was like a similar thing where I was like, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can physically do that. But they did. Um, So good for them. So that was like the biggest thing off of ROH's 19th anniversary. If you care, go check that spot out. Um, otherwise, Quentin, what do you have to say to the people for the week? Uh, nothing really, I guess. We'll sit there and see what's good for WrestleMania weekend, I guess. Yeah. I don't fucking care. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't care. WrestleMania weekend's going to suck, like, but we might have something special for the people uh, You know, coming out of WrestleMania yeah. weekend. Yeah, we'll see. We should, we should, we should, we should have something interesting. Uh, but other than that, uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you're next time. Yeah.
I'm fucking stupid Tell me that it is Cause I'm tired of being useless yeah, I've been up for three days Everything is haunted Everybody's evil And there's ghosts inside the carpet Monsters in the trash can Ghosts inside the doorway Don't look at it now There's a shadow in the hallway Hours in the toilet Better grab the drain up I get too worked up So I gotta flush my brain out